0: bye
1: Hello and welcome to Ghost Divers. This is an anime podcast on the X4 Audio Network. I am your co-host Neve, and I'm joined as always by your other co-host Connor. Hey. Um, and today we are covering episodes thirty-three through thirty-eight of Mobile Suit Gundam Iron Blooded Orphans, uh, aka eighteen or eight through thirteen of Iron Blooded Orphans two, like the second season, whatever. I've seen different ways that this is done. We've had so. this
2: debate already.
1: Yes, <laughs> we didn't even debate about it. Really, we just talked about. We've had this agreement yeah. already. Yeah. <laughs> um, do you have any initial things that you want to talk about, or uh, uh... I
2: I really enjoyed these episodes. Um, the final three, I think, are some of the best like Gundam fighting yeah. stuff
1: that we've gotten. Um. And I can s- also the, the final three uh, more so than, and I think the show is like sometimes dabble in it, but it's like doing the, uh, Oath MS team. Like we have to be on the ground, figuring out the strategy of yes. like, where's the positioning and stuff, but just way better. Yes. <laughs> this is just a better show. <laughs> yeah.
2: Um, yeah. Yeah. Check the post ED for, for more comments on that. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, yeah, we, we do get a lot of that, which is, which is cool and well done. Um, the battle sequences, I think, are just, like, e- even as um, there's definitely a lot of, like, thrilling battles in IBO up to this point um, and good, uh, well-animated and, like, well-scripted combat sequences. Yeah. Um, but some of them are not, like, as fleshed out battles yeah uh and here we get like some really good um coherent like fleshed out battle sequences yeah uh so that that's really Um, satisfying and then a lot of interesting content around yeah the mobile armor and all that um so overall i'm i can see how you or why you were anxious to to get through these episodes sooner rather than than later.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Also, I just, I, you know, if people don't remember, we are recording this one week after the last episode, even though it's spaced out two weeks in terms of release. Uh, And then it will be three weeks for us until we record, uh, you know, the, the next six episode discussion. Um, And like, I, I in a in a certain way too, I wanted to just leave it hanging for like us with the end <laughs> with what happens with Mikazuki and everything. Um and yeah, and just like get to this stuff sooner rather than uh kind of sit on that, that first section that is doing a lot of setup but not like paying much of it off. Um Yeah. Some of the setup feels like a this is coming out a after a, at least a little bit of a time gap. I don't remember how much. So let's also, like, get people back up to speed on what's going on with the show, what are the themes, you know, that kind of stuff. Uh, whereas here, this is actually, like, pushing it in, into another direction. So...
2: Yeah. um, I think that's good for prefatory comments, yeah. probably.
1: <laughs> Shall we get into my, my long... Uh, synopses <laughs> yeah how do we want how do we want to break this up like three three again I think probably makes sense
2: yeah let's do three three because I think the the yeah. final three especially are um work well together
1: yeah um so I'll just make it note here um also as, as we go we can feel free to speed through the reading of these synopses or just try and, uh if you're able to you know concise slow th- put things together but mm-hmm. um, I don't know what word I'm trying to say <laughs> I don't either um, I think I
2: think my brain is doing the same exact thing as yours which is like <laughs> there is I know the word exists it's just like yeah. cloaked in shadow I can't, yeah. I
1: can't uh, yeah, utter cut, it cut it down in the moment yeah. <laughs> but that might be <laughs> hard to do uh, anyway. consolidate yeah consolidate uh <laughs> fuck i don't Uh, know let's (laughs) episode 30 i know i know the idea yeah episode 33 sovereign of mars so one month after the war that we saw last time uh gallagher meets to discuss the events yakujan uh argues that mcgillis caused the issues around the conflict to worsen um and uh both like Iak and Rustle are sort of denying the existence of uh gallon who, who gets brought up. Um, but uh, I think there's a, a, a moment in here is this where, where Rustle kind of um, goes along is like playing by the books. I've heard exactly when this happens anyway um, after the meeting, Rustle and uh, McGillis speak briefly uh, we get this, um, sort of memory that Rustle has of McGillis as a child, uh, when he's sort of commenting, oh, you've like matured basically. Um, and he's recalling when, uh, McGillis's father, who I I don't know if was revealed to us before. I knew this, but I, I, sometimes there's stuff that I have in my head, but then I don't remember if the show said it. Uh, but, uh, Lord is Nario Farid adopted McGillis, uh, his adopted father, Um, and so we get like, basically the day that he was adopted, um, or at least like the first day that McGillis was like around, uh, Gatler Hearn after being adopted. Um, and when meeting him for the first time, uh, we get the shot of Russell notices that there are bruises on the back of McGillis's neck. Um, and, uh, asks like, Hey little kid, do you want anything? Like I could get you a snack or like some toys or something. Um, McGillis immediately responds, Bile uh like the b-a-e or uh, b-a-e-l uh the demon which with naming conventions we can probably assume is a gundam um maybe not but (laughs) Uh, (laughs) we have this whole demonic naming convention so i'm sure uh, i'm sure it's not (laughs) yeah uh so then in the present uh you know, after sort of this memory, uh, Rustle congr- congratulates McGillis for successfully orchestrating his father's downfall. Um, McGillis is like, Oh, that's not what I was trying to do. Um, after Rustle leaves, McGillis asks Isarugi for an update on the true identity of Galan Mosa. Um, so you know, obviously he's investigating. Uh, we jump to Mach and I Awakening. Awakening from his coma, uh, and we learn that Tekadon is in the process of withdrawing from Earth. Uh, Makinai invites Skudelia to stay on Earth, with this uh, sort of—I I forget how explicit he makes it—but basically, like, it's pretty, it's you know, explicit. if you stick around, I'm gonna—I'm gonna pass on my connections to you. I'm gonna make you like my successor. Um, I, I'm getting old now. This this near-death experience is you know, made me realize that I should I should try and usher in a new generation of uh middling centrist liberal politics. <laughs> um Yeah, really so passionate wh- <laughs> about this
2: about yeah. those middling centrist liberal policies.
1: <laughs> yeah. Um so uh <laughs> while Tekadon prepares for the departure, um Chad Chadden, who, <laughs> who's also uh woken up from his coma Best uh is yeah is with Akihiro uh this time I did not keep doing Akihiko um uh, they are sort of reflecting on some of the lives lost uh we get Takaki blaming himself for not doing more to protect Tekadon, uh and also for sort of putting all of this faith in uh Radis. um and Mikazuki sort of reassures Takaki hey you were given a job you were doing your job uh you know like no guilt on you there you're 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 doing what you're told you're doing your job and also when you found out about radis you took care of him you did the the right thing and shot him basically Mm -hmm. um you did what i uh, would have done yeah uh the right thing in mikazuki's (laughs) eyes at least uh kudelia tells takaki that uh so after mika leaves uh kudelia kind of Provides a, a slight counter, I guess. Um, and it's telling Takaki that there's more to learn, uh, that, you know, through education and through gaining knowledge, uh, he will see that there's like millions of choices that Tekadon can make. And that will, like, having that education will help them judge and decide for themselves what are the actual choices worth making rather than relying on these orders. Whereas migazuki was a little bit more focused on, like, you were given orders and you followed them. Mm-hmm. Um, on rustle ship uh julietta complains about the basic simulations that are being used for her training uh julietta just like always wanted to go above and beyond uh has no respect for Eok, as she should yeah <laughs> she should not respect that classic fail son. deserve it yeah <laughs> um he's a little
2: bit the jared of the series uh,
1: yeah <laughs> yeah he's like yeah
2: classic gundam
1: fail yeah yeah um and uh, she speaks with the mysterious masked man whose name we're going to learn later um, about uh, her loyalty and respect for Gallen and Rustle as men who who gave her a chance uh, based on her abilities, uh, you know, treated her as an equal, um, you know, gave her the opportunity to succeed through through work. Uh, and of the her man, no status. Yeah. Yeah, but, yeah. Despite her lack of status. The masked man goes. You remind me of a man who also never forgot a superior officer who saw him as an equal and gave him a chance to succeed. Uh, <laughs> I I remember a situation like this. It's almost like you're a bit of an Ayn. Um <laughs> Julia <laughs> Ju her. Yeah. I like her I like her more just as a character than Ayn. Uh but there there's definitely a very clear like she is the continuation of the Ayn character. Yeah, she's case. like
2: a mix of like lofter and Ayn.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Um and then, uh, so yeah, he's like, you remind me of this man I, I knew or whatever. She's like, well, where's that man now? Uh, and he says that he's very close to him. Um, so who knows what that could mean? Uh, on earth, McGillis Mac- comes to visit Tekadon and thank them. Um, and then also informs Orga that Mosa is somehow connected to Rustel Elyon. He's like, figured out there's some connection there, but he doesn't really have the details. Um, Orga uh, asked McGillis why he's thinking so highly of Tekadon, why he keeps like trusting them, all of this stuff. Um, I don't know if he uses the word trust. I shouldn't put that in there, uh, in my little synopsizing here. Um, cause that's a looted word right now, I think, mm-hmm. in the series. But anyway, um, McGillis responds that, uh, from the first time that he saw them fight, he, they reminded him of Agnika, uh, So we, we keep getting this guy come up. If people don't remember the founder of tech or the founder of, uh, Gatler. Um, McGillis then promises that, uh, basically if they help him succeed and stand atop Gatlahern, he will then, uh, from that, position of power, transfer the Gatlahern Mars branch over to them. Uh, and I didn't jot this down, but it comes like, becomes like a key thing. And then they will be like the sovereign of, of Mars, the king of Mars. Uh, and Orga is going to get real obsessed with the idea of becoming the king of Mars. Um, then uh, <clears throat> at the, the home of Takaki and Fuka, uh, they are talking about uh, Aston. Uh, Takaki cries over basically how their friendship uh, only brought pain, you know, pain to Aston before he died and then pain to Takaki Th- and Fuka, like remembering him and everything. Um, and uh, in this moment, Fuka sort of reveals that she has this fear that she might lose Takaki the way that they lost Aston um, among the new recruits uh hush is training to surpass mikazuki um and orga talks with kudelia mika eugene Marabit, chad and a bunch of others about mikillis's offer um and you know he wants to accept it because he wants to become the king of mars uh kudelia and Marabit are hesitant and uh in this moment takaki is like i i'm not doing this anymore if you're going to be like pursuing if you're going to keep like shooting for more like this, doing really risky things. Um, I'm quitting. I want to stay here on earth with Fuca. Uh, you know, I just had that conversation. Does not want to, um, also die and, and just cause more heartbreak. um, Mikasuki uh, sort of after this meeting uh, says to Takaki that uh, he's no- Takaki no longer a part of the Tekadon family. Uh, Fuka is his only family now, uh, which seems like a harsh thing. But then uh, Akihiro who's sort of walking behind him <clears throat> says, you have to understand what Mika is trying to say. He's saying, don't worry about us anymore. Just focus on being happy with your sister. He's trying to like speak with kindness. they re- release um, him from the like burden. Yes. Um, <clears throat> Uh, meanwhile, uh, Kedelia rejects Makanai's offer, saying that she needs to stay with Tekadon. Um, we get them on board the Hodoruby, and uh, Ozzy um, notes that Laughter has developed feelings for Rocky Hero. There's like a little bit more complexity to the scene, but that's basically what's being said. Um, and uh, we also get Orga apologizing to Mikazuki for far, uh, how far they still have to go to get to the, you know the place where they belong.
2: <clears throat> uh episode 34 vidar rising uh some time has passed now uh tekadon's back on mars and the mysterious masked man's mysterious gundam uh he's a man enshrouded in mystery yeah um <laughs> uh, but his gundam is ready for combat so maybe we will find out more about him um once he once he gets into action yeah uh tekadon unloads three landman Rodi. And selects pilots for them, while the rest of Tekkenon tunes the Sheet Ends and trains in mock fights. Uh, so they're like stocking stockpiling more um arms. Yeah. Uh Mirabit is concerned about <clears throat> uh the increasing armaments. Uh more or less, like, yeah, you know, if we're stockpiling all these weapons, it probably means we're gonna have more and more intense fights. Yeah. Um, but Yuki Nojo is like. Well, no one's gonna mess with us. Um no human yeah. faction would possibly mess with
1: us. Uh all the stockpiling of arms provides a deterrent. <laughs> yeah, it's a deterrent. Yeah. Yeah. Um also I fully just gone anytime Yuki Nojo shows up, I, I'm like tempted. Sometimes I don't because of the time where I'm trying to just quickly type. But it like his name is just Old Man Yuki Nojo in my head now.
2: <laughs> yeah, you can't you can't take out the old man part. <laughs> yeah. Um Mirabit uh, is also concerned about the uh, Gundam frame uh, that they unearthed at the mines, uh, which we'll learn if we haven't already is called Floros, and uh, um, the like kind of convergence of many demon uh, named devices uh, at Tekadon. Um, the mechanics we then see them booting up the the Gundam frame, and yes, and actually this is where we learn its name, Floros. Uh, Naze, uh, panning over to Tewaz, uh, Naze reports to Tewaz that Tekidon accepted this deal with Megillus and the, uh, Yakuza motherfucker in the leopard print coat, uh, who we've been referring to, uh, we finally get his name, which is Jasley. Uh, this, I guess this is a fitting name cause it's just like, it doesn't seem very like Yakuza to me.
1: Yeah. Um but it also feels like a like portmanteau of like Jazz Wesley.
2: <laughs> ja- yeah, Jazz or like yeah. <laughs> yeah. It, it's just a weird weird name. Uh but Jazly uh is like he's continuing to be mad um about Tekodon thinks that Taywaz is losing face um because Tekodon is not like consulting Barristan before making this big agreement. Um But Barristan is cool with it, and Naze is, like, spinning it as a positive um, because they're going to – like, a subsidiary of Tawaz is now going to potentially govern Mars. Um, So uh, they can get a sizable cut of the proceeds of uh, whatever, you know, is entailed in that activity.
1: Yeah. But then also – if If Tekadon messes up because they didn't ask, they can now easily cut ties. yep,
2: yeah, they have an easy pretext to yeah. uh to crush them. Uh, Nozick, uh takes one step further. He promises to pay with his own life if Tekadon causes problems. Um, and uh Jasly is kind of like committing to make his own moves in response. Uh, and we see him starting to to do some machinations, yeah. Uh, outside the Tewaz meeting, uh, Amida speaks with Jasly. This, this is an interesting exchange that they have. Mm-hmm. Um, they ap- appear to know each other uh, from some prior um, wh- whatever engagement. Uh, and in this conversation, we learn that the turbines, are, uh, the women of the turbines, uh, before becoming turbines, were, were trafficked and used by men like Jasli. Um, but now they have a home with Nazde where they belong. Uh, and Jasly is like oh it's you know disgusting that uh naze makes women pilot mobile suits uh and Amida's like yeah you just don't understand you don't get it <laughs> yeah um Naze and orga meet uh and naze warns orga that many in Tewas will oppose orga uh, and that this is the last time Naze will forgive orga with a smile um so we have like another one of these conversations that see, That seemed to be foreboding, Um, Mm -hmm. the kind of, like, escalation here in this arrangement. Uh, Aboard Rustle's ship, Julieta asks the Masked Man what he fights for, and he says revenge, Um, which I'm sure everyone is surprised by at this point. Yeah. Uh, In the Tekkenon Cafeteria. If only he
1: had some sort of revenge-related name.
2: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, we'll see. Uh, We'll we'll see what what his name ends up being. Um, Yeah. In the uh Tekedon cafeteria, uh, Atra, Kudelia, and Mika all eat while Hush is an awkward fourth wheel, uh, committed to learning from Mikazuki. He's like completely changed his attitude towards Mikazuki, um, and now like yeah. sees him as this um uh like senpai, basically. Um Kudelia and Atra promise to take care of the farm. Uh and say Mika needs to come back to it someday. Uh Mika's like um Kind of like struggling with um, his his disability, saying he can't like work the farm and stuff. Um, yeah, I know this comes up later as well.
1: Yeah, I forget where it is that uh, if it's here and I just didn't note it. There's like a conversation as well about like Kudelia fighting for a, a world where like he doesn't need to fight and he doesn't understand what that means. He's like, "What would I do for work then?" <laughs> yeah. Uh-huh. Um.
2: Uh, we also learned that Marabit and Yukinojo are dating. Um, which is to the particular dismay of Chad, uh, Orga is given a tour of an outer space uh, Gallarhorn base by Isurugi. Um, So Orga is like making the rounds and meeting all of these political connections. Um, Gallarhorn is like um, uh, kind of like teaching him the ropes of, of this. uh, Yeah. You know, schmoozing and politics and whatnot. Yeah. Uh, Passing on their connections to him. Uh, one might say, um, meanwhile, Cudelia asks Nobles Gordon for additional funding, uh, but is now like at a point with Nobles where she knows he's a scumbag. Um, and is like kind of, uh, she feels kind of bad about, uh, about this, but, um, not enough to, to not do it. Uh, in space Eoc, Julietta, and the the masked man, uh, engage in combat. And we learn that the Man calls himself Vidar, the same name as his Gundam frame. Uh,
1: Weird, that's not a that's not a demonology name. I wonder what that comes from.
2: Yeah, I don't know. I um, <laughs> couldn't tell you. Uh, but we, so we finally get the name Vidar. It turns out it's not revenge related at all. Um, <laughs> despite showing no respect for Iak in battle, Julieta marvels at Vidar's skills in combat and says that while she still mistrusts him, uh, she's no longer worried about fighting alongside him. Uh, So they kind of have this deepening dialogue. Uh, And uh, at their home, uh, Almiria awakens from a nap on Megillus' lap and finds him reading a book about Agnika Kairu. Uh, He says that when he was first adopted, uh, so Megillus then starts talking about his life in, in the book. Uh, he says that when he was first adopted by Farid, he cursed the world and considered suicide, but was saved by this book and by Agnika's dream of a world where humans could compete and succeed uh, fairly, regardless of their station in society. Uh, when Almiria is like, I don't understand your Ayn Rand, um, <laughs> Megillus says it means a world where you can love whoever you want, and he promises to make a world where they will not be judged.
1: Um a lot going on with McGillis. Yep. Uh Episode thirty-five, Awakening Calamity. Uh so Jazley plans to negotiate with the seven stars uh as part of like this challenging Tekadon. Uh, there's sort of this like they seem to have some sort of connection with uh I, th- I think he finds out McGillis specifically, but like with uh Jallerhan, and I'm gonna try and work with somebody else uh within there to like you know, further play off them. Um, Gundam Floros is almost ready to be piloted. And, uh, Shino has had it painted the same colors as the Ryusei go. Um, Yamaki, who still seems a bit infatuated with him, worries that he will be even more reckless in this machine. Uh, we get a lot of people who have like affections for characters worrying about what will happen as they're fighting, um, throughout these episodes. Uh, so the mechanic, uh, also looks into this strange like mobile worker sized machine from the Calamity war, um, that was discovered <clears throat> sort of near the, the big thing that's underneath the, the, you know, what was like found near the, the, gun in the mine. Yeah, yeah. In the mine. Um, and, uh, strangely it doesn't seem to have a cockpit. Um, it's, and it has, it looks kind of like, uh, almost like a, uh, what? Like a, a horseshoe crab. Yeah, that's exactly yeah. right. Yeah. Um, anyway, uh, Lofter is like, well, why not we just ask Gatler about it? Aren't they supposed to know this stuff? That couldn't um, go wrong and, at all. Yeah. Uh, and also it doesn't, it's like got this weird face. And we just see, it's got like a full mono eye, you know, like mm-hmm. the, the most, like we're just getting the the mobile mono eye that we've gotten in the show so far. Yeah. Um, uh, Tegadon broadly continues, uh, redeployment training and preparations while Orge continues to collaborate with Jatlahorn on their base, doing a lot of ne- networking, it seems like, um, mm-hmm. you know, when you get like a promotion at your job and now you have to meet like all of the people who were previously your supervisors, uh, but now they're like, hang out, talk to each other. Yeah. Now we're <laughs> uh, equals. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, Orga informs McGillis over video uh about that strange machine that they found near uh Gundam Floros. Um McGillis says that he like basically says it and he's like halt excavation immediately uh, stop. that is a, that <laughs> right is a mobile armor you need to like <laughs> stop it's it's a forbidden colossal weapon uh, he doesn't use these words but like it does mass destruction it just like destroys things constantly just stop <laughs> you have to stop it was the heart of the calamity war uh, there's a, you know that little small mobile worker sized object that you found it, that's just like equipment for it that's just like a, a little thing that goes along with it and the yeah. thing itself is, like, way worse than that thing. By the Stop, way, just, here's all this information
2: that you should have had oh, probably a while ago.
1: Yeah. Um, we also learn uh, that somehow Jasly has received received information about this conversation um, and uh, has some sort of idea. Of, uh, you know, is, is, like, working with various people. Um, he doesn't know what that object is, but he's, like, got a picture of it. Um, Rustle's team receives word that McGillis will travel to Mars. Um, and they also are getting the information that Jazly learned. Um, I don't think we get the immediate reveal that it's from Jazly, but it's from Jazly. Mm-hmm. Um, Rustle, uh, calls the excavated object, a pluma and informs Eok about the mobile armors. Uh, this scene is funnier because the one with like, I, I can fully believe that like, Mikkels maybe should have warned, like, Orca and the rest about this stuff, but maybe he didn't, like, really know what they were doing with the mines. Um, this one's just especially funny because Rustle's, like, explaining more of this stuff, too, and Eoc just doesn't know do anything, and they're like, haven't you, like, gone to class? <laughs> yeah. Um. But anyway... Uh, yeah, he, he talks a little bit more about the mobile armors and that they were supposedly all destroyed by Agnika, Kairu, and the original seven stars. Uh, Vito says that,
2: uh, I oh, will yeah. say, like, we'll, we'll say we'll talk more about this, but it is interesting the fact that Eok does not know, um, mm-hmm. because it's suggesting like the degree of uh, like, suppression <laughs> of this information. Yeah, um, which I think is like what one of the main things that's conveyed in, in these exchanges is like um and in like f- to the viewer because of the way that this is revealed with no like uh it, it's just such a huge revelation that like uh Gallagherhorn like v- strongly suppressed this. Uh, yeah, information and like successfully.
1: Um and then uh Vidar says that he uh, suspects that McGillis is traveling to Mars because he wants to kill the mobile armor himself, and in doing so, achieves this rank of the Order of the Seven Stars, which uh, seems to be a thing that, like, even some of the other people who knew about the, the Pluma don't know what this is uh but in the old gallon and it was like the highest rank um if you like fought against and defeated a mobile armor you would you would get like the order of the seven stars um, yeah it's like
2: the amount of mobile armors that you defeated gave you like higher status amongst yes. the like you know the nobles or whatever
1: yeah uh this is also where we get the actual reveal that that uh Jazly learned this information from Jazly or that Rustle learned this information from Jazly uh Dono Mickles which I think is the first time we we see his last name mm-hmm. um uh, then back on Mars, Yamaki tries to relay the message from Orga to stop excavation of the mobile armor and work on the pluma. Um, but it, it's right at the moment that the, the mechanic has like reactivated the pluma, like pushes the button and it just like powers up uh, and ominous what's going to happen. Um, <laughs> Cuts
2: away at this decisive yeah. moment
1: uh meanwhile uh Tekadon is given leave to enjoy the night on the town uh we get this like discussion where some of the boys are like oh let's go out and you know essentially like hire some sex workers uh and then other ones are like oh money can't buy real love um so there's like a a little bit of a and then they're uh, like oh yeah maybe i
2: won't go out then
1: yeah i feel like there's still a few who are like i'm going to (laughs) yeah but um but yeah there's a little bit happening there um Mika prepares to leave with Atra to go see Kudelia. They're like getting into the car. And then Hush once again makes himself a fourth wheel to their little polycule. Uh I just wrote notes here. Uh Stop cock-blocking Mika and Atra, Hush. They ha- want to have a nice date with their girlfriend. Just stay at home. <laughs> uh, but he hasn't figured it out yet. Yeah, um, he doesn't get but, it. Yeah. Uh, but they go to Kudelia's office. Uh This is the first time that any of them have been there. So they're kind of like seeing oh this is where you work um and hush is surprised to learn that kudelia manages mika and atra's finances because he still hasn't figured out they're dating and he's never heard of like a polycule sharing a bank account before um and he's also surprised to learn that mika zuki is saving basically all of his money um and Mika's like i don't really have much to buy and i Yeah. <laughs> I eat like ration pellets and whatever Astra cooks me and like Takedon pays for my room. So like <laughs> uh I I'm not I don't have stuff to spend money on. I'm just saving it. Um But uh this is a an interesting tension with Mikazuki that we can maybe talk about, but mm-hmm. um Then uh we get McGillis arriving at uh, tegadon on Mars, um, and they talk about how the mobile armor went undiscovered for so long. Uh we we basically learn uh through Iserugi that half metal is used in making ahab reactors. That's why it's so valuable. Um and because of that, the same things that would the same sensors that would detect AHAB reactors will also like essentially get a false positive with half metal minors themselves. Um and so that vein of half metal was essentially masking the presence of the ahab reactors um and that's why these were kind of unnoticed until now um mcgillis also explains that mobile suits were created to fight the mobile armors um and the presence of a mobile suit like gundam uh, barbados at the site might reawaken the mobile armor and so we're not bringing any mobile suits here Um, he also explains that mobile armors are autonomous, don't need a pilot. Uh, they just fight on their own. Uh, they arrive at the site, uh, and are sort of starting to check it out when some suits suddenly, uh, you know, come down from the sky, surfing on the shields again. Um, it's Gatler suits, uh, of like Eok and his squad. Um, and McGillis is like, my intention is not to fight this mobile armor uh try to win the the order of the seven seals when like Eoc sort of accuses him of that but Eoc doesn't believe it um we then get the phone call from the mechanic being like uh the pluma would, like fucking rampaged and took <laughs> as down soon as soon as it tur- we turned systems. it on yeah <laughs> Uh, And we, like, finally got things under control. We finally got communication back up. Uh, This is fucked up. Um, And uh, Eok's like, I don't believe any of you. And then, like, steps closer to the the mobile armor. And it it reawakens to the presence of his suit. um, Because he's kind of an idiot. Uh (laughs) Somebody should have told him, be careful about where you put your suit in relation to it.
2: (laughs) But anyway. It's almost like someone did tell him and he didn't listen.
1: Yeah. Um, we we could keep going with the synopses, but I think this is a good point to stop and
2: yeah, I think <laughs> talk it's a good. little, yeah.
1: Um, also as a note, from we get to the synopses next time, just so that you, when you see it, you'll know. I don't think anywhere in these episodes, I don't know if we ever in the show get the name of this mobile armor. No, we but not. there is. Uh, it might just be from like supplementary materials, including the gunplay kit of the mobile armor and it's called Hashmal. Um we're going to get stuff next time around Angels and Hashmal is obviously a, an angelic name. Um but uh I just ended up deciding to go with Hashmal cuz I know the name of this rather than just doing like the mobile armor constantly.
2: So, mm-hmm. um um I will try to remember to to use that. Um mm. I mean, it's so.
1: fine if in talking you don't, but it, you'll see it in the synopses. Part of it was like me wanting to clue you in that I put it in there. <laughs> yeah. So, um, um,
2: I'll let you uh, jump in if you want to. Yeah. So,
1: it. I mean, I guess the thing that I'll, I'll say right at the beginning. One, uh, if people have doubts about Vidar being Galileo at this point, um, like it's clearly Galileo and somehow related to Ayn as well. Ina is somehow in the mix. Who knows how that part's still a mystery. I don't want to talk about any of that stuff. I'm sure people have, you might have guesses, Connor, um, but obviously this is like guy Leo. Um, I have some guesses, but I'm yeah. not going to,
2: I'm not going to say them.
1: Um, and so there's the, the uh, mobile suit that is named Vidar. Um, and then he also has that name. That name comes from uh, an a Norse God named Vithar, um, who is, uh, you know, there, there are basically like two different groups of gods in Norse mythology, uh, the Aesir and the, the Vanir, uh, most of the gods are Aesir. Um, but there was like some cross pollination with the Vanir. There's different interpretations of what that means, but it's sort of a, uh, you know, Norse intermarrying of two clans that happened. Um, but, uh, so Vithar is an Aesir that is, uh, associated with vengeance, um, particularly comes up as a son of Othin. And the, the main thing we know about him is, uh, at Ragnarok, uh, Fenrir, the Fenris wolf, the giant wolf son of Loki, um, will kill and eat Othin, uh, Odin. Um, we'll, we'll just devour him whole and, uh, his son, Vithar, will then get revenge by he has uh this like uh really thick so uh sole shoe uh there's like this whole uh thing that's recorded that people would uh like discard the this like used soles of their shoes in like a a special way to have it go to Vithar so that Vithar would like add it to his shoe to help get <laughs> revenge uh when the end of the world comes. That's awesome. Um and so uh with that that shoe with the really thick sole, he steps down on Fenrir's lower jaw and then with his hands grabs the upper jaw and rips his mouth open to kill him. Um this is how this is how Fenrir dies. Uh also called the Silent God. Um it there's not like explanation in uh text from the time about why he's referred to as the silent God, but the guess is probably there, there's some records of like ritual silence taken in a quest for vengeance, uh, that when you like, uh, you know, in Norse culture, there was at least some people who would f- do a vow of silence basically to, uh, until they got vengeance against, you know, whatever they were trying to get vengeance against. um, Mostly, this is important for uh the primary reason of Barbados at this point is referred to as Barbados lupus <laughs> uh as compared to a wolf mm. um so clearly there there is something being set up here about like uh you know him him at least uh angling for wanting to specifically get revenge on Mikazuki uh as well as McGillis. but uh, I think Mikazuki is is uh implicated in like part of the revenge um what's yeah, uh, happening here?
2: this is like uh this might be a dangerous tangent because uh not to condense a subject that is extremely vast uh yeah. into like one tangent on uh on ghost divers but i'm curious because like um i'm not as familiar with uh like you know, Norse mythology or Scandinavian myth- mythology. Yeah. Um, and I'm interested in this parallel uh, that you're bringing up. So my question would be like this, like the myth of, of Ragnarok.
3: Um, yeah.
2: What is like, how should I put this? Uh, What is like the interpretation of the like symbolic significance of this? Like the fact that, um, because my understanding is that Ragnarok is like, it's like a destined event, right? Yeah. Um, so the fact that like, oh, like Fenrir is going to like eat Odin and then be killed in this way. Um, what is like, I guess within that like cosmology, like what's the, um, significance of like, the fact that it's destined? Um, is it like a cyclical thing or,
1: uh, um, some of this, is, so some of this is complicated. Uh, well, yeah, the main, yeah. <laughs> I expected but, it as much, like even in this question of the cyclical thing. Um, and I'll, I'll go into why, but like, so, uh, there, there's a edic poem, uh, vulspau, um, where Odin asks, uh, a vulva, which is like a, a seer, um, to, you know, describe, uh, the fate of the gods essentially. Um, and the, the poem is mostly her talking about the whole process of Ragnarok and how various gods will die, who will get revenge, things like that. Um, uh, main thing that I think is happening, like originally within this is this, this belief around like, um, there, there is this pantheon of gods, and all of these gods are are kind of, um, in the way that a lot of polytheistic religions, uh, work and uh, at the time worked especially, um, are kind of just like various different religions that have all come to some sort of agreement to, like, acknowledge a, each other, a shared, yeah, like a a shared cosmology, a shared acknowledgement of each other. It's like um, a
2: henotheism, and I, yes. I don't know if you're familiar with it. Yeah, like yeah. henotheistic.
4: Yeah. Situation.
1: Um and so you get people who are, you know, specifically towards uh like Freyr or towards uh Othin or whatever. Um but sort of within the the myth of Ragnarok um is this belief that like this thing stands above all of the gods, like the, the no god has control over fate itself. Um, that fate itself is like a, uh, thing that is greater than even the gods. Uh, it's a thing that like all of us have to contend with. Um, and so I think that's like, uh, part of what's being like, uh, rooted into that. Um, the, the other thing though, when it comes to cyclical, uh, and most likely there was some sort of cyclical myth that existed, um, like at the time that it was being to- told, um, but even like the, the, the poem, like Vullesbau itself in the, the schema of, uh, Attic poems, when, when people look at the language is compared to some of the other Attic poems, like, uh, more recent, you know, mm-hmm. um, was written like later in the cycle of paganism. Um, uh, so there's also some idea of was this poem originally written with an awareness that Christianity was perhaps going to subsume like the, the Norse uh, belief system that there was like a, another system that was coming in. Uh, but this is also hard to, so to it's like the fear, read.
2: like the yes. projected fear of like annihilation and like the apocalyptic yeah. narrative.
1: Yeah. Uh, in the face of like, uh, another, uh, uh like oppressive force, real, honestly, like historical was, forces. Yeah. yeah. um, There's also some speculation of, uh, the fall, like stuff around the fall of Rome being like throughout the, the period of time becoming inscribed within it as well. Some of that stuff is, I I would say more tenuous, but I've definitely seen people seen some people make that, uh, comparison as well. Um, there are definitely some other like old Norse myths that you can tie their lineage back to stuff around, uh, like Roman stuff in particular and like Spartans. Um, Anyway, uh, the other reason why this gets messy though, is there are very clear changes towards the very end of the poem where, uh, the writing becomes one sloppier, uh, whoever was writing the poem was not as good as the original, like writer of it. Uh, the, the like rhymes and structures are just not quite as, uh, you know, masterfully constructed. Um, and also there, there are some things in it that feel even more recent in terms of language conventions, uh these are the parts that are the most explicitly christian that say after all this happens uh there's going to be like this new god that will rule over the world and there's like a few gods who get to live on um but like there's a new world order established that is like clearly pointing towards a, a christian uh interesting you know, follow up. Uh, some of it too is, was perhaps the original one also pointing towards some sort of Christian thing, but in a more negative light and the changes are pointing it towards this more positive because now, uh, uh you know, Christian Christian person is, uh, is inscribing it again years later. Um, you know, making a copy, whatever. Um, but yeah, there, there is like, you know, embedded within the, the, uh, myth of Ragnarok is this idea of Leif and Leifthrasir who are sort of a um, like cyclical Adam and Eve figure. Uh, so there, there's originally um Oskar og Emla. Uh, uh, so like Oskar and Emla who are sort of the, the immediate like Adam and Eve figures uh, in one of the creation myths. Um, but then Leif and thrasir hide in the world tree uh, during Ragnarok and then survive, even though most of the other humans don't. And then they repopulate humanity. Um, so yeah, there is a certain cyclical thing to it, but there's also like a clear, like, uh, some things will repeat, but also like, uh, Odin's just gone, you know? Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, interesting.
2: Um, yeah, the, I guess the, uh, Part of the reason I ask is because um I know with like apocalyptic narratives, um often like the apocalyptic event is either uh it's like re reshuffling the like cosmology or the world order um yeah. in a way that changes it. Uh or it's like a renewal. Um and then the renewal is like necessary for like whatever, you know, whatever reason in the like um cosmology um, Yeah. So that's why I'm trying to, like, for the sake of this parallel, I'm trying to understand, like, um, if there's, like, allusions to, uh, like, Ragnarok uh, type event here with Vidar and uh, Vidar's revenge, um, then, you know, how, how do we interpret that, uh, that illusion? Um yeah but i guess we can flesh um, that out more
1: I, we... I guess the 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 most that i could uh in this moment like it, beyond there's the the very clear like within ibo uh you know Gaileo, ein uh like those two figures would would want revenge on Mikulis and, and mikazuki um so like there's obviously the clear revenge that's happening there but i think on a broader scale there is a certain amount of like um uh Barbados Lupus being the the like offspring of is like still w- related to the genealogy of the gods um you know uh, the Agnicka Fenris Kyria. Wolf yeah like Fenris Wolf is the descendant of Loki who is just like a part of the pantheon until Ragnarok when uh you know does a trick to kill like the favorite son uh of uh the gods basically um who like basically everyone loves um and does a trick specifically to have like his brother uh like Baldur's brother kill him um and in that trick, then everybody sort of turns against Loki, but then it it sparks this like uh great fighting between different sides because loki in particular is also aligned with the the giants the jotuns uh and so it becomes like the jotuns become against the the aesir as like a big final clashing um and that's what causes a lot of the the like destruction and apocalyptic events including also like wolves eating the the sun and the moon um mikazuki as i will point out is immune uh wolf eating a moon um but, so, so I think also there's a certain amount of, like, uh, Megillus and mikazuki being, like, like, destroying the, the Gatlahern as an institution in the way that, like, um, you know, destroying the gods and in particular, like, uh, Othen as the father of all the gods. Um, and then specifically like Vithar coming in to try and get revenge against that. So, so
2: you see, um, like Megillus as kind of like a, a Loki
1: uh, um, figure. Yeah. A yeah, I could see I could see a little bit of you know, it is sort of allied but also has his other you know, is like a part of the group of the gods, but is also constantly sort of a trickster or a schemer against them. Um and will you know is escalating to this point where like they want to specifically cast him out. Um interesting. Well,
2: thanks for indulging that tangent. Um, yeah,
1: again, I think I think some of this is not like it's in the same way that we talk about the Moby Dick stuff, where like there's clear stuff that they're pulling from, but also a naming convention is just coming in to point to it. But it's also not like fully informing everything. I don't think. But, yeah, the parallel
2: um, might not be like su- super fleshed out.
1: Yeah, but I, I do think the one of the biggest things uh, that it is pointing to. Is like uh, old Norse myths around the wolf as like a, a um, er, like danger of nature uh, that has to be contended against. And there are like three mythic wolves in uh, old Norse that are, you know, Norse mythology that are involved in the end of the world. Um, Fenrir, who, who eats Odin. And then there's like two other ones that throughout all of time have been chasing the sun and the moon and finally catch up and eat them so
2: interesting um okay well uh back to ibo <laughs> yeah <laughs> um that's good. i didn't want the, the that that was a good tangent um yeah i didn't want it to uh to get too off the rails but i i think that was good like for me um starting to um because it's like it's continuing to be a um a parallel.
1: Um, yeah. So I was like and I and I think it's also significant uh where obviously we can make guesses that the actual like demon that the Gundam frame that the the Gundam Vidar is named after is not actually Vidar. Um it might also fit into the demonology. Who knows? Maybe it's McGill's or uh maybe it's Gileo's Chimaris just like refigured into something else. Mm-hmm. But specifically having the first time that you have a Gundam in the show that does not have a demonology name. Um, and then also you have it in these episodes, clearly pointing towards like people do just rename their Gundams, even if it has like a, a, you know, demon. Formal, name, Yeah. Be- because we're going to get Shino calling the Floros, the Ryusei go <laughs> Yeah. So,
2: um, yeah. And then ride renaming the, um, it's uh, it's like I can't remember what the name of the Gundam that the name that he uses, but it's like ride something.
1: Yeah. Um also like uh the Gusion Rebake Full City at this point is <laughs> mostly be just being called Full City. Yeah. Um Yeah. Uh, um, as, as far as
2: the um the episodes, uh we do get a good amount in these the first three, um, I didn't have any like huge points. I think it's more just, um, smaller like observations Yeah, uh, that I was making. Um, one thing that occurred to me at the beginning of episode 33, we get this sh- shot again of all of the, uh, fit the seven star families sitting around the table. Um, yeah, and it just reinforced for me um like how much gallagher is this patriarchal uh structure um with the you know these seven families that all headed up by like men um yeah. and and that like visual is uh so strongly conveying it uh but um and another one of these like kind of subtle uh parallels that i think the series is asking you to do um, a lot of the, there are other patriarchal structures, uh, such as Tewaz, um, with Barristan being like the, you know, the patriarch of Tewas itself. Um, and then the individual families, um, Jasli and uh, Naze being like the patriarchs of their families. Yeah. Um, and then we also have Tekadon, which, um, I guess we could, uh, I guess there could be a debate over the degree that on is a patriarchal structure. Um, but I think in these episodes, we, we see that, um, Orga is like taking that role. Um, so we have, uh, a, a world like dominated by these, um, patriarchal <laughs> structures. Uh, and it's not just the, you know, the, the ruling regime, um, it's a uh, characteristic of, of all of these like forms of association that, that we're seeing or many of them. Yeah. Um. Also the idea of sacrifice. Uh, I think you called it out in the, um, the synopses, but um, sacrifice as a concept, like is really taking center stage here Um, and becoming a, a, uh, a key point of tension. Um, it's like an inflection point for a lot of these relationships. Um, yeah. but, uh, all the different forms, people sacrificing for like, personal gain for, um, for others, for their families, for the regime. Um, EOX men like sacrificing themselves for him for the continue. So he can continue the glorious Kujan bloodline. um, And then, uh, all the way over to like, uh, Mika, um, you know, sacrificing his body, um, and, uh, um, Takaki's decision not to, to sacrifice himself. Um, yeah. Uh, for like the continued endeavors of, of Takedon. Um, so just decisions to and not to, um, and then Naze as well. Um, you know offering his life um to kind of like support Tekadon uh i think this this theme has been floating around um but it, it's starting to become like a i would say a, a not only point of tension but like a friction point um for some of these relationships yeah um and then Megillus um, we're going to get more Megillus, but uh Megillus's promise um handing over the colonial apparatus to Tekadon, uh this is an interesting development um that i i do think there's a lot to say uh about this um, yeah <laughs> but uh you know Tekadon being this like uh We've talked about about them as like possibly through the revolutionary lens, um, as like a um, you know anti colonial uh, a revolution against the colonial regime, uh, and then the dilemma introduced in the last like discussion episode of them being um, having some success, pushing back, gaining some status, and then the threat of them
1: being absorbed into it.
2: Uh, and now we and then get
1: here. We've got it, like realized, yeah. <laughs> as a, as a like uh, very specific material threat, <laughs> exactly, uh, and a goal that Orga is working towards. You know, to become the the king of Mars,
2: exactly. Uh,
1: uh, and then <clears throat> um, the way
2: that this was, at least in in my viewing, um, the king of Mars idea. When it's introduced, it's like, "Oh, Tekadon would be the sovereign of Mars," uh, but at a certain point, and I think the where I noticed it was the conversation that Barristan has with uh, Orga in one of the later episodes. Um, yeah. But at a certain point, the idea gets transferred over to Orga becoming the king of Mars. Yeah. Um, so the you could certainly do a post-colonial. Uh, type of analysis uh with this. Um
1: yeah.
2: I don't know if uh if I'm gonna delve fully into here, but I just wanna point that out.
1: Yeah, there there is a way that like the um the structure of takedon where where people put place or they they place their trust and their faith in Orga as like a, a leader who will do them right. Um it is generating something that is setting up like Orga becoming a king with some sort of, you know, divine right to rule <laughs> over the people yeah. um, rather than like something that, that Kudelia seems to be advocating for a little bit more or pushing towards or suggesting when she talks to Takaki about like uh people making their own choices within this uh and like having education and making choices hopefully together as well um she doesn't quite say that but i think that's also part of the the tension there um
2: yeah you know agreed
1: she she has uh for as much as we've talked about her failings earlier in this season uh you know was someone pushing for like uh independence for mars um And also seems to be having uh, some sort of self-reflection about her failures to, you know, the way that she's been suckered into the system rather than uh, remaining uh, focused on, like, her actual goals there. Um, So far, we've had a lot of her saying she wants to build the world. Not a lot of uh, how is she going to do that, but. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs)
2: Um, I Every time we cut an episode, at least recently, I've come away feeling like we're overly harsh on Kudelia. Yeah. Um, I I don't know if we really are, but since you brought it up, like at this juncture, I want to say, I think like Kudelia's struggle, uh, especially after watching these episodes, uh, I, I think her struggle is like legitimate, even as she is like influenced by uh, mock and I and like these forces of um uh this like threat of her being like subsumed into the regime um I think she's never like at it doesn't appear at any point that she's like just fully like absorbed into it, you know like, yeah, like sh- she is um. Also these are interesting episodes cuz she's not really like doing much here. She's kind of like just
1: out there. Yeah. I think that's the the main thing I was trying to get at which is uh there is this tension in her character but currently she is a, a fairly inactive character. Uh beyond having a like the conversation with Takaki um and then this thing that I think is actually being pushed more by by Atra but that that kudelia i think is like bringing into her ideas for the future um but like i i think it is uh notable and important as we talked about last time that they kudelia recognizes that like this is not the revolution that i wanted um you know her deciding not to stay with makinai is a clear like decision that she is making yes uh that it is a, a positive one. And is one that I don't want to just like downplay her as having fully like been subsumed into the machine. Um, th- it was very fun to joke about that when she was opening a, a strip mine, but <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah. I, I do think she's a more complex character than that, but I also think there's a, something significant happening where so far the most, she's still stuck. I think in this like theoretical mode, um, and Tekadon has gotten so pulled away into McGillis's like plans that she yeah. no longer has the, that like Tekadon like to be. Yeah. She doesn't have Tekadon to be the, the, um the like practice to her theory. Uh, now she kind of just has like Atra providing that certain, like you want to build this like better world. And part of that is like, what work do people do after this? Because right now so much of like the and is not thinking it in these terms. Atra I think always uh in a in a way that's quietly revolutionary, but I think things about things in like a very interpersonal way rather than like a, a large way. Yeah. Um, so she's talking about like, well what do we do? We uh the three of us have a farm. Uh, we have our little like, uh, polyamorous farm commune together, (laughs) um, which like go for it. Uh, but I think also there's like a thing that's been happening there where like the, the question that's at the heart of that is the the, like, uh, world used in like the broad sense rather than just a, a planet sense economic system here. Is so clearly based, uh, especially at this point, around warfare. Mm-hmm. Uh, As in fact, like more so, become based around like combat and war and like um, exploitation. Yeah, like because of Tekkodon's, uh actions, rather than like less that. And so, one of the the like core things that I think Ashra is is putting into, or is like giving to Kedalia is when we think about how are we going to change things we need to think about what is the work that people are doing after this like uh how do we how do we have like a different system where people are doing different work that is not the system that we're living in right now um and of course atras is just focused on we're going to have a farm but i think there is that like you know uh Ashura's thinking about like well we have our little farm Megazuki as much as he is being pulled into the the war side of it Uh, is also focused on, like, broader agriculture for Mars. Yeah, he's aware
2: (laughs) of this as well.
1: Yeah. Um, Yeah. And so, yeah, it's one of those situations where I I don't want to take, like, pot shots at Kudelia, but we also, we haven't seen her act in a way where, um, you know, I, I think that she has, like, good intentions and is thinking about these things, and a lot of the focus of the episodes right now is... Um, you know that that tension and how does she break out of the the pull towards just like becoming a politician uh, and she's actively doing that now in a sort of quiet way um, yeah but there's still we need more beyond that beyond just like well i'm not going to be machinized successor so
2: agreed um and, and i think you framed it up really well there but um though like inactivity of her in these episodes is deceptive because I think it's, it's another instance of like, we talked about it in the early discussion episodes of how like a lot of Cudelia's struggle is this like quiet internal struggle Mm -hmm. um, that is like presented very subtly. Um, And I actually think that when I was first encountering the, the um, first episodes of season two in this, I actually, like, missed it, um, I, I think, uh, that we're we're getting more of that. Like, the, the show is giving us that again. Um, yeah. And we're getting – we are getting development for Cudelia. It's just that a lot of this is, like, turmoil under the surface. Um, and now her struggle is, like it, – it's exactly what we said. Um, like – there are different pressures on her now. Um, and now she has different constraints that she has to navigate, which is like, yeah. Okay. Like it's all well and good to, um, have this like pure, uh, revolutionary, uh, politics, but like, in order to realize that world, uh, you you know, you need to build it. (laughs) Um, yeah. (laughs) And, uh, You know, how do you, like, actually build that when, like, first of all, you're still, uh, the, like, existing regime, it it still exists. Um, like, it hasn't been completely just, like, annihilated and overthrown or whatever, um, as, you know, like, this kind of, um, simplified, like, uh, ideological, theoretical, uh, argument might have it like oh yeah that was just the the regime's been toppled so now we can just like rebuild um well no like it's still intact um but you have like then what does progress look like um and you know that's like an open question um so she's you know struggling with that um and I think her answer is is like well, you know i need to start like building these institutions that are going to s- sustain um well like a allow for and be sustain um a new future uh and you know we can make fun of it as like oh it's the you know she's like oh she's opening a nonprofit or whatever um mm-hmm. this like uh conventional cop out like thing that that we've Seen time and again in in our lives. Um, But also there's a validity to that, that um, I think it it gets brought up uh, by the show itself in, in the later episodes. Um, But like, okay, yeah, you need this in order to truly like topple a ruling regime. uh, You need this tremendous amount of force and commitment um, to that, to that force. Uh, to see it through. Yeah. Um, but if that's like all of your effort, um, if, if that c- comes to like define you, because it, so much of your investment has to be in that to get to realize it. Um. If that's all the work that you're doing, then like once that's done, how are you going to fucking feed people? And like yeah. that's the... And, and this is where, like, oh, well, um, in a very unfortunate way, the, like, agricultural facility uh, appears in this arc of episodes. Um, mm-hmm. But that's where, like, Mika's dream, uh, moving away from, like, the monocultures and stuff. Like, oh, yeah, we need to actually, like, grow different types of crops uh, in order for us to have, like, you know, to, like, feed people. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, and like sustain the you know population in like a new version of of this world um and uh kudelia is like th- trying to do that stuff or like sh- starting to like think through and like make efforts towards that and she's she's recognizing that that work needs to be done um yeah and so uh this is our like kudelia <laughs> defense here um, yeah. That I, I well, feel and, like we need, and to also offer. that
1: the I think there's a certain intentional like uh, she has stopped the that same sort of movement that we are seeing with her. Uh, even though it was still in the first season, I think you know sort of quieter in some of the scenes because she's not the one in the Mac who's swinging a giant hammer around or whatever, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um, but there part of what's also happened here is that uh, Tackadon was with her when it was expedient for their own like economic goals in the same way that like Mach and I would be with her as long as it is expedient for his economic goals. Um, and at this point, like Tekadon is more focused on, well, how do we just like, how do we get power and prestige and all of that? Um, or at least Orga is, and Orga is in in many ways the like decider of what Tekadon is. Um And so in some ways, while Cudelia is like with Tekadon, we we learn that there's a, a period of time where they were separated, um and they have like drifted away from her in in a sense where they're not like you know, before they were supporting her and her goals, and now they have their own goals that are conflicting, which I think is part of also what's happening when she goes if I'm going to get anywhere, I need to get there with Tekadon and like I need to be there with Tekadon to yeah. to to help them be something other than this. Um cuz cuz Orga is not a ref- revolutionary. Um in in the same way, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, he he may not be actually.
2: Yeah. Um but I think uh you've pointed out one um and uh there's to me, there's one more. Um, but Kudelia makes two very important decisions that I think like support this.
0: Um, mm-hmm.
2: the first being what you point out, which is her decision not to stay with Mach and I. Um, and then her decision not to like go to the shelter. Um, mm-hmm. which we'll see later. Yeah. Uh, but those two decisions I think are like evi- uh, evidence of her like continuing commitment. Um, to 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 what we're talking about, um, that she hasn't like, uh, you know, been subsumed into this like, uh, these other commitments or this like, you know, regime, um, ideology. Yeah. Uh. So yeah, Cudelia uh, has. We've defended Cudelia. We I think we've um. Rectified any. Undo uh, mockery uh, that that we may have done. Um, yeah. Although I think we were probably pretty, probably not that bad.
1: <laughs> uh. And again, there's a little bit that was justified. Yeah. Yeah. Of course. Um, uh, and all also, that stuff is happening. I I think she there. It is just very funny how she does a speech about how they should choose hope at the end. I just had to do that <laughs> hope poster. <laughs> just had to do that Obama hope poster with her.
2: Hey, I I, I loved your your poster. It was amazing. Um, yeah, that's not why I have like you know. I don't regret that. Uh, yeah. I just want to make sure that we're you know that we're being fair because I do think she's a great character and like I'm recognizing that. Uh, it, it was only after like thinking about it for a while. That I was like, oh, you know what, like, um, especially in this arc of episodes, uh, I, that I actually missed this um, when I first watched. And I was like, oh, yeah, Kudelia is just like treading water here. Um, yeah. But it, I really, I don't actually think that that's all that's going on.
1: Yeah. Um, In terms of stuff before we get to the, the next three episodes, I think we should save Mikazuki for the, the, the end of you know all the synopses mm-hmm. um just because more important uh or bigger stuff is going to happen with mikizuki uh next time um also uh julia doesn't come up a lot in these these episodes but i just want to like anything that we have to say about her i think will be better said next time we're going to get like a little bit more focus on her as a character i think in the next six episodes um the one thing I'll say is I, I know that she gets a mech. What we're gonna see her asking to be the experimental pilot. Mm-hmm. Uh, she gets that mech. There's gonna that be stuff ends around ends her with that mech. So um, I am currently building the the gunpla for that mech. So nice. Uh, it's a cool mech. Uh, I'll, I'll be excited to see it. But um, yeah, I think we can kind of uh, wait until next time to to really talk about like Julietta. Um, I don't know if you have anything else about, like, Vidar that you want to say, but... Um, not not necessarily. I think that's one that yeah. can
2: probably wait as well. Um, um, although we should talk about this scene with McGillis and Amiria.
1: Yeah, so I was going to say the big thing before we get to the next services is I think we should talk about McGillis. Um, and, I mean, the the scene that we see is a scene of grooming. Um, yeah. I, I want to, and some of this is me knowing more of the shape. I want to call attention in all this of like him being adopted and the bruises on his neck. Um, I think the series is already pointing towards some sort of cyclical abuse that happened. Um, not that that excuses him, but I think it is a a part of the behavior. Uh, but this is also just like, you know, in the way that all the stuff before I was like, who knows his intentions here? Uh, this is obviously grooming and obviously, uh, Bad, <laughs> content warning for all of this stuff. Yeah, for sure. So, um, um,
2: I, I another correction I have to make. Um, so it turns out, or it appears that, uh, McGillis is not a complete like nihilist that just believes in nothing. Um, yeah, which is w- kind of where I was like, some of my thoughts when, uh, you know, he kills Gileo and and. And all that um but the um season two we're getting a lot more about what like he actually appears to believe um around like agnika kairu um which you know in the synopsis i was like you know it's i it's ian rand blah blah, blah. um uh, it's kind of funny to, to think of it that way uh I suspect that there's probably going to be more, um, I- even more that we learn about it, to where we can actually comment on, on the whole, um, yeah, on the I- ideology and what it means to McGillis. Uh, but, uh, I did want to correct myself that it appear it doesn't. It appears that McGillis does not just believe in nothing. Um, he does have to, he appears to have some deeply held beliefs, um, around this like meritocratic, uh, vision, um, of, you know, human competition, uh, yeah. and, but, and also like, uh, anti-aristocratic, um, uh, views.
1: Um, yes. Uh, and some of that, um, like, I wanted to say explained, but I don't want to say that in like, uh, it's all very simply explained, but, um, is like partially explained or, uh, seems to be tied to, um, him being adopted mm-hmm. from seemingly a lower class. Uh, I think there's some mention of that with McGillis. Uh, where we learn about sort of the adoption by an aristocrat who, uh, in some ways seemed to abuse him, mm-hmm. at, at least based on the bruises on his neck. Yeah. Um,
2: so we're we're getting more uh, about yeah. McGillis. I don't know if I'm especially gunshy now, like jumping to conclusions about him, um, about what he believes. Uh, mm-hmm. I think that's probably my my worst guess or my worst like premature conclusion in this, uh, as far as accuracy.
1: Yeah, uh, but, but I mean, he he is basically just being a nihilist in that moment. Yeah. Um uh, but manipulating th- I think there's also a, a, a thing about him um that I think we have seen and this is why uh like I don't know if we'll ever get it. Th- this might be the scene with Almiria where he actually says the most of like this is what he believes. Uh but he also clearly seems to be a person who uh says it's what like he very intent- in the moment. Yeah, he says what he he needs to say to the other person that like in that interaction with Galileo it it is uh important to him like there's probably some reason uh why he would just points to like nihilism rather than this oh where people can succeed and compete fairly. Um Yeah, he's like twisting the knife more, with yeah. Galileo. Uh, in the same way that he says that he has no friends and then only <clears throat> after uh, killing Gaileo or believing he has killed Gaileo. Um, again, Vidar is probably galileo Or ein Or both. <laughs> or who knows. Um, but after that, uh, admits that, like, I did actually consider you a friend. But was not going to say that to him before he died. Um, and so in the same way, I think there's a certain uh, moment of him revealing a truth about himself when he talks about his childhood, uh, you know, being suicidal, reading the, the legends of, uh, Echnika Kair, um, and through that, uh, having this like, you know, newfound, uh, idea or, or focus. Um, but then it also becomes tied into him having this, like, Uh, intentionally playing up this power dynamic where she doesn't really understand what he's talking about. He seems to enjoy that. She doesn't understand and then provides the interpretation that um, one is going to tie into like fears that he knows that she has around like people seeing even just like as a a arranged like marriage for uh, power, you know, which is how a lot of people have viewed their relationship. Um, that there's like a judging of her as being like, Oh, just a a young child and stuff. And she has those insecurities around them. And so specifically turns it into something that is around like, Oh, a world where you won't have to deal with that, that judgment. Uh, and also where, you know, implied where we can be together. Um, which is just, this is full grooming behavior, but, um, you know, specifically framing it in a way that is taking advantage of her anxieties and, uh, positioning it as like going to be solved there, by this thing that he wants her to believe. there is a relationship of love, uh, and that is you know we need to make a world that will recognize that love um, rather than the clear manipulation that he's doing in all of this. Um, you know, despite whatever other feelings he might also have, there's like clear manipulation happening. So
2: yeah, um, I I have more thoughts on Agnica. Uh, Kairu um, later uh, and okay. and like the the significance of the meritocratic idea. Um, yeah, so I'll just punt that to later um, and uh, not to like uh, uh, not to like uh, you know over analyze this component of the uh, of the scene. Uh, but I think that the series the the way the scene is presented is also drawing attention to the um the grooming element here um mm. with it it really emphasizes the difference in age um in the way that she's like positioned um it it's very like childish yeah. um but then also like uh, also like sexualized uh highly especially when he like moves her to his lap
1: yeah Um, the especially the the and it is specifically the way that he moves her from like a more childish like oh just like sleeping on his you know thigh or whatever while he reads a book um to this like more sexualized position is a thing that he is doing yeah um yeah yeah uh also in all of this uh you know we're we're talking about a gundam series uh i think this is also in some way like he is a he is a uh char character for for all that means so um yeah. this is definitely a an element that uh you know there within the fandom there are uh questions around like in char's counter attack uh is he just a person who manipulates people? And so that means manipulating a girl who would have an uh, attraction to him. Um, not like in a, uh, with other intentions other than this is just another way to manipulate. Or is he actually just like outright a pedophile? Also, what's the, uh, significance between the distinctions between those two. And I think that this is also happening with McGillis. Like, um, to what degree is this just him manipulating everyone in his life? Uh, and this is the way that he manipulates her because or, of the relationship. Yeah. Or what he
2: needs that to be.
1: Yes. Um, or is he like, uh, specifically, you know, and I think this is getting, this is like stuff that's hard to talk about, but I think it's also getting into the complexities of, uh, from what we've seen so far, there's the implication that McGillis was at least physically abused, if not sexually abused by his adoptive father. um, and so to to what degree too is it like he is just a person who through that abuse is dealing it like dealing with it through manipulation and also through like reenacting Reenacting certain things yeah Yeah. uh like the very specific things that he he endured so um again uh, uh, this is like the hardest thing i think to talk about in this series but (laughs) we i think we've done our best (laughs) yeah so uh um
2: with that, do you want to move on to the next episodes? Um, yes. So episode 36, Stained Wings. Uh, picking up where we left off, the dragon-like mobile armor Hashmal immediately kills one of Eok's men with the flick of its tail. Uh, Megillus tells Tekadon to retreat, basically GTFO, yeah. um, so they can uh, you know, develop a plan to defeat it. Um, while Eox team is just getting like pulverized by Hashemol. Um and uh, Eox team is already losing, and then all of a sudden a swarm of Pluma uh, appear out of nowhere to support Hashmol, uh, and eventually um, Eox team is just like Master Eox, like you have to retreat. We're all gonna, like we're all gonna die. We can't beat this thing. You have to preserve your your bloodline. Um, for the sake of your, your great family. Um, and he does, he tearfully like, you know, retreats while his men get, uh, killed. Um, Hashemal and Pluma, uh, they make quick work of the mining plants. Um, and, uh, when Mika calls Hashemal beautiful, uh, like a bird, uh, McGill says, no, that's no bird. It's an angel. Um, uh, Megillus starts like waxing poetic. Um yeah. and finally gives like the whole history of the mobile armors. Um that uh and so we learn from Megillus that mobile armors were designed to kill humanity. Um they were kind of like the this ultimate weapon. Uh and in the Calamity War, they killed a fourth of the world's population. Um so like a fourth of the I presume entire human population at the time. Yeah. Uh when uh Gallarhorn uh, eventually, created the mobile suits in the uh, Alaya Vignana system to uh, destroy them.
1: Yeah. To stop well, it. And, and speci- yeah, specifically the Alaya Vishnana system uh, or Vignana system was designed to control the mobile suits. Oh, uh, uh, yeah. Yeah, yep. it was also gotcha. a dealier. So we, we're definitely getting a little Evangelion in here with uh, designing a system to control some sort of like weird demonic thing that is a giant human that fights in like armor. To stop uh, the extinction uh, of humanity. To stop the extinction of humanity by angels. Yeah.
2: <laughs> yeah. Um, this is like, yeah, this is a satisfying amount of, of Ava uh trickling. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, I will see, uh, like, anime sometimes where it's just, like, uh, you're just ripping off Ava and it's, like, you know, it's boring. Um, yeah. This is this is a good, like, uh, you, you see the influence in here, but it's, like, it's well done. Um, uh, and Mika is, like, well, you know, I'll crush that, too. Uh, undeterred. Uh, yeah mcgillis uh in collaboration with um well so yeah in this moment mcgillis is like developing a plan to ambush Hashmall, um and he's like you know what uh i wasn't planning on it but when yuck brought up that order of the seven stars thing that does actually sound pretty good so let's see Uh, let's see if i can get one of those
1: I didn't want to wake this thing up but now that it's awake like i might as well as well it's it's right here (laughs) (laughs) like i could somebody is getting it or humanity's being uh extinguished so like somebody has to get it (laughs) yeah i i will say it it appears that
2: mcgillis like genuinely does not want um a bunch of like a ton of people to be murdered by the mobile armor yeah uh and was like didn't want it to be activated uh, for that reason. Uh, so, to be fair to McGillis here, uh, he 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 also wants to, like, stop the mobile armor from killing everyone on Mars.
1: Yeah. It, also, like, to be fair to McGillis, who, again, is a groomer, and I don't need to be that fair to you, but, to, like, to be fair to McGillis, if I was not intending to wake up a, a monster that will destroy all of humanity, uh, and then just accidentally because of my actions and someone being an idiot it woke up i would then be like well i want to stop this and it would be cool to get the the you know the the power and prestige from stopping it so
2: (laughs) yeah right yeah um uh we so also we learned that Hashmall is uh self-repairing um it uh the pluma uh repair it and Hashmall itself can create new pluma um so it's kind of like a yeah repairing cycle it's,
1: it's its little babies
2: uh yeah they're they're adorable <laughs> um they uh they deduce that it's going to go to uh crease uh it's a crease or crease uh i
1: think it's it crease was, i think it was like Crese or or cryse or something um we the, looked this up it's the one that that continues to plague me the most of i've no idea how you say it uh well
2: okay I'll just go crease uh, crease. Um, they deduce that it's going to go to crease um, because it's uh, it goes for the highest population. Um, and uh, so they're going to
1: ambush it on the way. Um in- you say, could you say, could you say, so, so yeah. Could you say, could you say, okay.
2: Okay. Um, so uh they told the residents of Kuyusei to evacuate. Um however uh Kudelia refuses refuses to evacuate uh because the person who uh if she did evacuate she would be taking the spot of someone else. Um and also uh if she runs, then that that means something. Uh and everyone will understand it. Um and uh so she's not going to. Uh because that's um, that's not who she is and that's not what, what she wants to be. Um, and she's still like for the people. Uh, so that this is her statement. Uh, Atra is like moved by Kudelia's decision and, uh, determines to stay with her. Uh, McGillis. Oh, and then, uh, uh, I think in this moment, Mika is like, okay, um, I accept that. Uh, Megillus gives Isurugi his Helmwee uh which is an improved version of the Grimgeard. Uh, however, their ambush plan uh, is foiled once again uh, when Iak Kujan shows up to uh, attack uh, Hashemal, um, which causes Hashemal to redirect its path towards the agricultural facility. Um, so Iak, once again, um, being a fail son, uh Mika immediately takes off in Barbados to face Hashmal. Uh Julietta appears and tells Eok to just stay out of the way, uh, chastising him for being so foolish as to think a sniper shot would damage it. Uh Julietta, the voice of reason here. Yeah. Um you're clearly. Like, if you think that one league. sniper
1: shot would do it, then why do you think we had to fight like massive wars around that? <laughs> You idiot. <laughs>
2: yeah. yeah you're just, you're completely out of your league. Just, like, yeah. go home.
1: Uh, I, I do appreciate how much Julieta just, like, unthinkingly disrespects Iok. <laughs>
2: there is a scene, Um, I think it's in, I, I'm pretty certain it's in uh, 37, where yeah. it's like Iok is doing his last, like, oh, I'm going to go fight. And we get, like, an extended shot of Julietta's face with this like he's talking about like oh i have to avenge my my men blah, blah blah and we get this shot of her face that's like again it's extended and she just has this look of like incredulity it's like frustration and incredulity like yeah you fucking
1: idiot <laughs> i th- i think in the synopsis for for episode 37 i described it as much to julietta's chagrin
2: okay yeah um yeah there's a great moment in these in these yeah. episodes uh uh, anyway um Tekkenon faces off they engage Hashmal on the pluma um but it ignores them to attack the agricultural plant um and uh uh hashmal unleashes this like Godzilla beam um that it has uh ride heroically like jumps in the path of the beam trying to block the attack um but he re- he just like bends the beam around him uh because of the we learned that the nano laminate armor uh, is like actually really good at um, defending against this beam. Yeah. Uh, this so is he- why
1: there aren't beam weapons in uh, in this world is because it's not effective against the armor.
2: There you go. Uh, so he like deflects the beam around him. <laughs> um, it turns into like a shot of spray beams um, and it still like destroys the plant that is being targeted completely. Um which you know it would have been destroyed anyway i think is the point yeah uh but he he doesn't he can't he is unable to save the the people or the plant uh and then Ride is swarmed by pluma and he's nearly killed um we get a kind of harrowing sequence where he's like you know desperate um this is also like a a type of sequence that could be in ava um where you see is just like Desperation and um,
1: the like cock- dawning, getting darker as like more and more stuff you know crawls up over him,
2: yeah, like dawning realization that he's like going to die imminently. Yeah. Um, but um, as he often does, Mikazuki flies in at the last second <laughs> and saves ride. Um, <laughs> uh, as McGillis and Isarugi move to the site of the battle. Uh Isurugi comments that Megillus seems to be having fun. Uh, but Megillus says uh unexpected changes can mess up plans. Um so it's kind of like Oh, um, the plan got messed up, but you're not like you don't seem to be too perturbed. You seem like you're enjoying um what's happening. And Megillus is like, uh I think the gist of this is that he is like Um It's like a satisfying challenge or something.
1: Yeah. But also a certain amount of like, I also do just like it when all of my plans go the exact way that I plan them. Uh, Yeah. (laughs) Yeah.
2: Um, As if to punctuate the moment, uh, they come across Vidar in the Gundam Vidar, who stands in wait.
1: Um unlike Ayn and the Grey's Ein, I do feel like Vidar and the Gundam Vidar is a, a notable distinction.
2: Okay. So that's that's telling me some, some yeah. something.
1: Um I mean he's not welded into the machine. That's <laughs> the main thing. Yeah, right. I, I guess I already knew that that. <laughs> he has a body that can exit it. Um So, episode thirty seven, uh battle for Creuse. Uh, so, Ryan's Shiden can't move, um, but Migazuki in Barbados stands ready to confront Hashemal. Meanwhile, McGillis is scanning the Gundam Vidar, but can't identify what the frame is. Um, Vidar prepares to control McGillis here. Confront, uh, I think. Or confront McGillis. Yeah. This is me. Also, Lem is, is invading. Uh, this is me not looking as I'm taking notes, uh, prepare to confront McGillis here on Mars where all his betrayal started, uh, and ask McGillis, how can he, uh, how he can pilot the Gray Ritter that Carta issue died in, uh, before, uh, he then pulls back to join Iak and Julieta. So basically like one, this is even more pointing towards Leo If this is where McGillis's betrayal started, um, and then referencing
2: uh, something that really upset Gaileo. <laughs> Gaileo, yeah the
1: <laughs> the death of uh, Carta issue as well um yeah and then going back to to Iak and julietta uh rather than actually confronting um cuz julietta is like uh Iak just fucked stuff up <laughs> um then uh tekadon tries to hold back the uh plumas. Um I debated on whether or not I should do the Japanese pluma for plural as well. So apologies that it gets mixed in here. Um Akihiro charges Hashmall in the Gusion Rebake full city. Uh but here we see, and this is maybe what also happened to Ride, uh does what happened to Ride doesn't get fully explained, but um we get this thing of like Alea Vignana safe mode activated uh going across the screen. Um as he tries to get too close to it. So it's basically just like in order to to do we'll find out more about what the safe mode is, but you know, basically shuts down. Um so responding to this uh Chad draws Hashmal's attention to draw it away from the the you know, current uh, agricultural plans and so that basically they can try and get it back to the initial ambush plans. Um we get, uh, that scene that we mentioned earlier where, where Eox like, I'm going to go back out there for the honor of my men and blah, blah, blah. And Juliet is just, you know, much to her ch- chagrin. Um, she's just like, you, you fucking idiot. <laughs> um, old man Yukinojo is looking after Akihiro and Mika. Um, and, uh, Akihiro is still unconscious from, from the safe mode. Um, and uh, you know, Meek is there and saying, uh, "When I tried to to go, uh, oh, you're you're writing the name of there. We go. Thank you." <laughs> uh, um, and Meek is like, "Yeah, when I when I tried to, Barbados wouldn't listen to me anymore." Um, then I had written a guy with a regent haircut whose name I forget. You've helpfully replaced it with Zach. Uh-huh. Zach says that the mobile suits are trying to shed their limiters to fight uh, the mobile armor. Um and this is conflicting with the safety limiters on the Alea Vignana system um that protect the pilot. Um, and everybody's like, How did you know that? And he's like, I've learned a few things. I studied you know. computer science. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, You're looking at this system sure log. Computer science. Yeah. <laughs> uh so Yikinojo and uh Orga are sort of talking and they're like, We're determined not to let Mika go out there because um, you know. It, it would basically involve turning off the safety limiters. Um, and we don't want to risk Mika. Um, and, uh, also they don't, they don't want to set Akihiro out there. Um, and they specifically sort of reference that the incident at Edmonton where, uh, Mika let, uh, you know, Barbados go sicko mode basically, and then lost his, <laughs> the use of his right arm. And I, uh, as a result, um, so, uh, we, we cut back, the battle rages, uh, Eok is prepared to die in honor, uh, <laughs> you know, goes out there being like, ah, you know, it's like missing like an arm, I think like on the, you know, the suit and everything. Firing like one um, shot. Yeah. <laughs> like, uh, um, oh, ah,
2: yeah. I've gotten my revenge.
1: Yeah. Um, but Julietta, uh, swoops in, rescues him, pulls him out of the sortie, um, but again this is fucked up the ambush plan <laughs> uh, <laughs> and for the uh, third Orga's time like yeah and Orca's like uh fucking regroup god damn it um in crysea and atra uh are sort of aware of the battle going out there talking about their fears and uh in particular they sort of talk about the their feelings for mikazuki um you know their worries about him um and uh also this like sort of support they have for each other um we're gonna get more conversation with them later so um i feel like that that's the gist of this part though mm-hmm. um cut back orga is trying to think of what to do next and Mikazuki's like i, I just go back out there just let uh, me go back simple. out yeah um and orga's like uh no uh shino try in the florist um and uh, why would this be different? You'll we'll see. But you know, why would the Floros work if it also has the limiter? Um, we'll get the answer though. Uh, Oregon informs McGillis of the change in plans, um, and McGillis is talking to Easter Oregon. He's like, "This is good for us. Um, I had high hopes for Tekadon, but you know, we need to show them where they stand compared to us. We're gonna um, we're gonna
2: kill the mobile army. Yeah."
1: If Mikazuki, like, Mikazuki not being out there means that we have a better shot of getting the kill on the mobile armor. So, um, this, this is good news for us, actually. Uh, cut back. Um, uh, Mika's like, just put me out there, coach. Like, come on. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to sit here warming benches. Put me out there. Um, and Orge continues insisting, sit this one out, Mika. Um, and uh, when Orga's like, you know, if, if it comes to it, I will go out in a Sheedon rather than like you going out in Barbados and, and risking yourself. Uh, and Mika says, no, I won't let you. And uh, we get the cut there. Um, so, uh, and we cut to uh, Eok safe away from the fight. Uh, and Julieta is like, okay, now that I've taken care of you idiot, I'm going to charge back in there and try and steal the kill before Tekadon or McGillis are able to get it. Because unlike you, I actually know how to fight and I, I'm confident in my ability. Definitely
2: not <laughs> underestimating this yes. thing I'm about to fight.
1: Um, then uh, the renewed operation begins. Uh Ride. Um, is in the Rusego, uh engages with Hashemal, uh, and is finally able to do this thing that they've sort of been trying to do as part of all of this, which is to separate Hashemal away from the Plumas, uh, to sort of isolate them a little bit to make it easier to take out both um, independently. Uh, at this moment, we see... Shino transforms the Floros, which this is the moment where he says it's the Ryusei Go 4, uh, into a cannon and fires into the gorge. So this is why Shino going out in the Floros is still a viable option because he can fire from afar. Uh, and it like uses the it has two Ahab reactors and it uses them to like charge up the shot or whatever. Um I think this is our first transforming suit, right? Yes. Um but uh yeah, fires into the gorge, which traps the plumas. Um, there's like, you know, rocks falling and everything. Uh, is now separated and, uh, Julieta comes in to attack it, uh, as does Isurugi and McGillis. Uh, but Hashemal's just too fucking strong. stand no chance. Yeah. Um, and so the mobile armor is prepared to kill Ride, uh, but Barbados swoops in to the rescue once again. Um, as he's wont to do. Uh, we then get to the flashback to the continuation of the conversation between Orga and Mika. Uh, so after the, no, I won't let you uh, Mika basically says I'm the shortest route to success. And you said like, we'll take the shortest route to get there. So why aren't you using me? Um, Orga is still like, I don't want to lose you in this fight. Um, you know, it, it turning off the limiters means that I could lose you to the machine. We saw Abin at Edmonton um, and Mika says uh, my life was given to you by you or, or given to me by you Orga. Uh, and so I'm going to use it all up for you if I have to. Um, so we cut back to the battlefield and Mika tells uh, Barbados that he is going to unchain the uh, Gundam Barbados. Um, and in that moment, his eye begins to bleed again.
2: Uh, episode 38 Hunter of the Angels. Uh, Mika does in fact, unchain Barbados. And charges in. Uh and then for some reason we cut to one month later. Um where Spill McMurdo <laughs> uh, where McMurdo is uh talking to Orga and tell um and saying, you know, tell me the story of Tekadon and the King of Mars. Um meaning like, you know, tell me the story of the fight.
3: Yeah.
2: Uh, and then we jump back to watch the fight. <laughs> uh Barbados moves with uh like ridiculous speed and power. Um and it basically is fighting um Hashmall one on one uh in a particularly brutal battle. Um uh he Barbados is taking significant damage, uh, but in the process starts like ripping Hashmall apart um with uh his weapon, whatever he can find around, uh, and also his bare hands, or Barbados's bare hands. Um and then finally takes the, like, massive cloud strafe sword from uh, Isarugi and uh, finishes Hashemal off with it. Uh, and the rest of the pilots just look on in awe uh, at this. Um, as do the viewers, because this is yeah. an amazing scene. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, Back in McMurdo's office, uh, Orga and McMurdo talk about the outcome of the battle. Uh, Orga says they'll continue to work in Um, Like, oh, yeah, you know, um, this is going well. We're going to keep doing this. Uh, and gives McMurdo his Sakazuki cup to break and disown Tucket on if they ever cause trouble. Uh, McMurdo does accept the cup, uh, comments that Orga has become a well groomed dog of Gallarhorn, uh, and then says, you know, um, basically don't ever cro- like double cross me. Uh, or else I'm going to crush you along with this cut.
1: Yeah. Also uh well groomed dog, uh just to get a last little bit with some of the stuff we were talking about, McGillis. Um, there is also the stuff with like the Niku, uh Kaerun's and everything that McGillis has been doing that is also like this manipulating and grooming behavior towards Tekadon. Uh that's specifically being called out here, I think. So
2: Yeah. Um yeah, specifically him trying to like indoctrinate the um Orga and Mika with this like mythology.
0: Uh mm-hmm. make them
2: like oh believe that, you know, this is what they are. Um like and influence their, their interpretation of themselves, um mm-hmm. and their worldview with the Gallarhorn uh mythology. Um Meanwhile, Jasly and his gang talk about the outcome and uh Justly says the Aryan Road fleet is a better ally to have than the Kalo-Megillus-Farid. Uh, at Gallarhorn headquarters, Megillus says he was only going to inspect the mobile armor. So we're having another like seven stars meeting. Um, yeah. is like has the upper hand now um, explaining what happened. Uh, that Eok basically uh, activated the, the mobile armor and caused the whole pro- uh, issue. Uh, Eoch is, like, unhinged, um, starts yelling, protesting that um, McGillis was, you know, it's all his, uh, McGillis's machinations, uh, but finds no support from anyone. Uh, and even Rustle is forced to, um, you know, praise McGillis and um, chastise Eoch. Um, which he does um, after the fact. We see Rustle, Juliet, and Eok walking together um and rustle is like yeah you just need to shut up why won't you listen to anyone when they tell you to shut up please shut up
1: yeah uh (laughs) calm the fuck down (laughs) um you we cannot be making accusations of mcgillis without like clear evidence
2: (laughs) yeah don't you can't just like fly off the handle and do stupid stuff all the time um so well, I don't know if uh, whether or not Eyak takes this message, I guess, remains to be seen. Um, uh, he also notably says that um, Gellarhorn's uh, mission is to protect order. Uh, that's the whole purpose of their organization. Uh, so they cannot act out of order or else lose uh, lose face and lose footing. Uh, Julieta then asked Rustle, uh to be the test pilot for a new experimental machine uh, so that she can be his sharpest sword. Uh, he concedes and allows her to do it. Uh, but also um, makes a somewhat uh, mysterious comment that um, that's not what I want from you. And you know that I want something different from you. I don't want you to yeah. just be my like greatest weapon or whatever.
1: And also uh, a little bit of a there, there is like, you heard what I said did like, Eak, like don't act out of order yep um,
2: um meanwhile uh Naze and orga talk about their positions in Teiwaz, and Naze asks after mikazuki uh we learn that after the battle mika uh, is now paralyzed in his light le- in his legs although i think it's only his right leg it's the whole right side of his body um yeah maybe. this is clarified later um Naze asks if being the king of mars is the end of orga's ambitions and orga says he believes so Um, Naze is like, has the same concern that others have had that has been raised by Biscuit, uh, Meribit and, and others, um, that, um, maybe Orga's, uh, kind of dangerously out of control, um, or, or dangerously, um, monomaniacal. Yeah. <laughs> um, he says it doesn't we'll just say the word. <laughs> yeah. It seems like he doesn't really care where he's going. He just wants to get there fast and then take it easy afterwards. Um. Uh, we see Kudelia come, um, come to see Mika um, who has limited mobility. Uh, he's kind of like resting on the cot. Uh, Matra is feeding him and uh, Miko just like wants to be close. He's asking um, if he could be connected to Barbados because when he's connected, he can move again. Um, and, uh, this is the moment, um, I was wrong earlier. This is the moment where he's like, Oh, I, I can't help on the farm anymore now that I'm like this. Um, and Kudelia is like, well, no, that's not true. I'll do your, I'll do the farm work for you. And because like, no, that's dumb. Cause you're Kudelia. Um, you have your own job. Uh, we see, uh, Kudelia and Atra walking away after this visit. Uh, Kudelia confesses to Atra that um, she delayed coming to visit because she was too scared to see Mika. Um, And uh, Atra is like, well, you know, weren't your fears assuaged? Like, Because he hasn't changed at all. Um, He's still just the same old Mika. Um, Like this hasn't, um, you know, um, this hasn't taken anything away from who he is. Uh, and Cudelia says that in fact that's what she feared the most. Um, that even after like suffering these losses um in in his body, uh, he still hasn't changed uh his like worldview and his ways around fighting. Um to the contrary, he's like even more committed to this. Yeah. Uh and uh, in the moment when Cudelia is expressing this, um, Atra like cries and is like, I, "That was exa- That's how I feel too. Um, yeah. I'm also afraid of that." Um, uh,
1: and specifically is like, I feel like I'm supposed to be happy that he didn't change, but all I am is just afraid of like what happens when he goes out to fight again.
2: Yeah, uh, which she will continue to do like with this yeah. worldview. Um, and yeah, if if he goes away again, he might never come back. We might like lose him completely. Um, Cudelia goes to comfort Atra. Um, and then Atra is like, I need you to do me a huge favor. <laughs> 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 um, <laughs> it's
1: like anything, bestie. <laughs> uh,
2: you need to have a baby with Mikazuki. Um, and mm, Cud-
1: was not expecting that one, <laughs> yeah. And Cudelia's <laughs> like, uh huh,
2: yeah. Uh, and then we cut away. Um, <laughs> at McGillis's office. Uh, Isarugi reports about Galileo's death uh, and the burial of his remains. Um, so Megillus is clearly like requesting Isarugi to uh, research all this. Um, yeah. it, and Isarugi reports uh, Galileo died um, on the battlefield. Um, here's like the official report. Uh, and then the Gundam Kimaris was returned to the Boduin estate. Uh, M- Megillus asks Isarugi what his thoughts are on Barbados. Uh, and Isarugi is like, um, well, uh, it was—it's incredibly powerful, but there is something uh, like it disgusted me. It was loathsome um, in the way that it uh, charges towards destruction. Um, I, I actually put this whole dialogue in the notes, so we might read it later. Yeah. Um, and Megillus says, um, nonetheless, that's true strength. Uh, Barbados, it, it, it has true strength uh, and that seeing Barbados made him realize that a true revolu- revolution is a strong wind that blows away the rotten stench of a, uh, a rotting dying ideology or regime uh, meanwhile Eoc decides to work with Chasley to defend his honor against Rustle and the rest It's um, clearly he's clearly, uh, he's clearly uh, t- t- taking uh, the advice he's getting
1: yeah a uh rotting uh regime uh, a rotting ideology here of defending your honor and doing stupid things for that reason
2: exactly <laughs> yeah this like it decayed uh form of yeah this de- decayed like formalism and uh uh like ineffective aristocracy um that's just obsessed with its own like status um we're, yeah we're definitely we're definitely getting a lot of that uh orga um, we have a scene orga of orga like walking by himself um, in a hallway reflecting on Nazi's words and uh seemingly like genuinely reflecting struggling with this um but reaffirming that um, he is not uh, doing this like for himself. He doesn't want to just take it easy. Um he's doing it for for his family. Um Tekkenon. Um yet he's still uh really struggling with what happened to Mika. Um so he goes to see Mika. Uh Mika is sleeping and um but wakes up. Uh and um Mika's like or Orga's like Ah, uh, you know, I really blame myself for this. Mika wakes up and is like, were you just blaming yourself? <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, and Orga's like, uh, ah. um yeah, basically. And uh Mika's like, don't uh don't blame yourself. We've had this conversation. Um and also this makes things simpler. Uh what's happened to me it has made things simpler. Uh um, yeah,
1: here I just directly quoted what he says.
2: Yeah. Um Cudelia said that she's going to make a world where we don't have to fight. Uh, I couldn't really understand it, but now I don't have to. I can't run anymore without Barbados. That means I can't live without fighting. Uh, Orga, take me. As long as you command me, I can go anywhere. I won't let you apologize.
1: Uh, and I had how- a few interjections of Orga that were, you know, not like actual lines in response. Like, so much as just like kind of reacting and... You know, uh, a little bit of surprise, and then the end being like, "Yeah, all right."
2: <laughs> yeah, like clasping hands, close up of the two hands, like you know, coming together, like in the yeah, uh, <clears throat> the the first grip when they're like, and then the scene where their ch- their children and Orga is like picking Mika up, we get another shot of this like grasp, um, yeah, like a, a recapitula- uh, recapitulation of that scene. Uh, and that's how we end on episode uh, in episode
1: 38 yeah <clears throat> um I don't know if there if there's a specific place you want to start um there there's one thing that uh and I feel like I mean, we still have half a season ago where we can talk more about how stuff with Mika is being presented. So uh, I don't want to just like go off of everything from one episode. Uh, there is a moment every time that I've watched this where uh, like Ride is just carrying Mikazuki around. Um, that's like how Mika gets around when, you know, not connected to a Barbados. Uh, and I was just like, they have like giant robots. Uh, Yuki I Nojo has I cyborg thing legs. Like, is there no solution like there's fucking wheel- space
2: travel and they don't have a wheelchair?
1: Yeah, there's no wheelchair, and we have also seen that Yuki Nojo has cyborg legs. That there is like a cyborg option for this too. Yeah. Um and maybe it's something about Mikazuki's brain like where like system. a cyborg lane. Yeah, like nervous system where like the cyborg leg wouldn't work. But still a, a, a wheelchair you could use, presumably. Yeah. You know?
2: That that is Yeah. That is a yeah. moment where I'm like,
1: come on. I, I think I think there is, and we can talk about how it develops over the, the other episodes, but there is a, a certain commitment to like, oh, look at what he's lost fighting in Barbados um, that is slightly disappointing in the way that it, uh, I think, uses like disability as like purely just the loss of the person. Yeah. Um, because disability is so much more complex than that. Um, and again, there are like ways to, uh, you know, disability is a thing that is like created by societies. And, uh, to, to some extent, there are like disabilities that people feel like they will always have, regardless of how society orients itself around them. Um, there are obviously disabilities that people would, you know, uh, like if they have a surgery that would be able to fix it would, and that's where stuff like cybernetics in these worlds can can come in as well. Um, but like a, a wheelchair itself is like such a, especially for this society, uh, such a, a simple technology obvious that, thing um, that they would have. Yeah, um, that I think like the the show's desire to show this more like symbolic Mikazuki losing himself to uh Barbados. Like to, look like, how reliant the,
2: he is on the, like everyone else to carry him and stuff.
1: Yeah. Uh, that it like, it, it misses like some actual truths just about disability and people who live with disabilities. Um, and so it's a, it's a thing where like, uh, for a lot of this stuff, I think the show handles things really well. Um, it's just this one moment of like, I feel like you could still be doing some of this stuff and show him in a, a wheelchair and not be. You you could focus a little bit more on how some of it too is almost like the psychological reliance that he's developing around Barba, uh, Barbados, which is part of what's happening here. But yeah, um, yeah, I feel like it in using like disability uh, partially as a metaphor, and I think also partially is like an engaging in um, soldiers who become you know disabled when they uh have injuries during war and then also like uh ptsd and stuff that goes around along with all of that stuff uh i think it's trying to also talk about that stuff um but yeah it's just a moment where uh it's specifically just the like hush carrying him around where i'm like really
2: <laughs> yeah
1: you <laughs> um, you're, you're right
2: to to call that out um, Yeah, and i think there's uh There's obviously, like, an immense amount of uh, discourse and work on, um, like, disability uh, and, like, disability um, studies and, like, theory and stuff. Um, And I think that while, like, I am not the – I'm not familiar with that sufficiently to, like, attempt uh, a reading, although I think you've done a good job framing this stuff out. Yeah. Um, I, like – I'll just say I'm not educated enough on those subjects to even attempt like to do do that reading um but someone who's not us <laughs> uh could could do that and like I think um there there's a whole uh there's obviously material here to to be like unpacked uh, yeah but on and the I, surface I I agree also with think you. it's
1: a thing of I I I think if this like entire show became about like it, like it would be a very different thing than what the show is talking about or trying to do. And it would be like a, an extra deeper, uh, like complexity if it was like really trying to engage in, um, disability theory. But I think it could bring in a little bit more of that to make some of this stuff work more for me. Whereas like right now it seems, uh, Out of connection with reality in a, in the way that like, uh, a giant fighting robot isn't because it's like part of just the, the narrative, the genre, uh, the world, these kinds of things. But yeah, it doesn't Um, make
2: sense with the, like within the world.
1: Yeah. For, for how much the other stuff in the world seems to try to, uh in a thing that Gundam can often be not always depending on the series, but can often do is like trying to, to ground things in actual, uh, real world systems of, you know, oppression or, uh, ideology or politics or things like that. It just feels like a miss here to like, not bring in any of that around this. Um, yeah. So, yeah, I agree. Yeah.
2: Um,
1: as far as, uh, but also I think the whole losing himself to, to Barbados and like that dependency that he has on it is still like an important thing. So more of my complaints is how I think that could just be fleshed out more and in a way that feels a little bit less like uh disability is just like a horrible thing to happen to somebody without any of the complexities around what that means.
2: Yeah. I, yeah, I, I do think that they're just by way of agreeing with you. Um, I think another reading could be possible, and there's more like complexity in it. Um, yeah. But my my overall reaction is that like it, I agree that that is the main thrust of like what is going on, of how it's presented in the show, um, and how yeah. it's like interacting with with other um, if the themes and stuff. Um, although you know, again, I, I leave it open the space of like I. I could imagine someone uh doing a different reading and being like, hey, there's there's other things we're we we have not accounted for. Uh yeah. But I'll we'll leave that door open.
1: Yeah. As somebody who's not uh super studied on like a lot of disability theory, but I think has more than the common person. Um there are definitely just parts where I'm like, I feel like this could be doing more. Uh, in the way that I think it's like the series is smarter about uh other stuff you know, economics and politics and those sorts of elements being brought in. Um, yeah. So
2: um pivoting a little bit if you if you're ready to, to pivot.
1: Yeah. Do do we want to go entirely else or do we wanna still stick on Mikazuki? <laughs>
2: um I was gonna go somewhere entirely else. But okay. if you have something on Mika
1: by all means um i i mean i guess a lot of it is stuff that's sort of uh self-evident within this but maybe like a a recurring theme that we've kind of brought up is a lot of the the fears that people have around losing people um Mm -hmm. to this violence uh and you know we we get like uh takaki and his sister and him making like the the uh, choice that was like initially sort of embodied in the show with biscuit. Um, but we, we've got multiple other people who sort of are expressing fears about losing people when they go out to fight. Um, and I think it's significant that with, with Mikazuki, uh, we have three different characters who have these fears. Um, we have Orga, uh, Kudelia and Atra. Um, and, then we also have like more so than, than a lot of the other situations, um, where either it hasn't happened yet and it's just being foregrounded here. And, you know, Takaki chooses to leave, uh, tag to, to not have that be realized. Um, and uh, some of the other ones were sort of before this was really being pulled in where we, you know, we get biscuit dying or whatever. um, Aston is sort of a, before this is like fully mounting as a fear. Uh, the fears are sort of coming out after Aston. Um, but anyway, like all this around like Mikazuki is the one where, where we are seeing it. And we are also seeing it as like a drawn out process. Um, and it is a, a drawn out process that is relating to like the, the size of his character, like the side that wants to, uh, you know, do this agricultural work, farm, you uh, you know, move away from monocultures, all of that stuff. Um and him sacrificing more and more of like that side of him for I am going to fight. And, like, and oh, we I can't work the on the point, farm
2: anymore. Yeah. And we Being get to okay. the
1: point here where he has just fully abandoned the other side and is like, this is simpler. Like I I had this conflict within me between the, the side of me that like, uh, is good at and enjoys the violence that I can do. Um, and that is like enacting change through that. And then like this other side, um, and so I think is also then significant of, you know, one, uh, I forget we had another one that it was specifically, oh, it was, uh, Yamagi expressing some, some concerns about Shino and like, he's going to fight even more recklessly now in, in the Floros. Um, and so uh, basically, uh, it, that we have the familial relationship and then the, the other, like, uh, Yamagi is this like love relationship. We've talked about the, the way that the, that relationship continues to be figured as like Yamagi having a, uh, a crush on Shino or or mm-hmm. having like homosexual feelings. Um and then obviously that's also what's happening with uh Atra and Kudelia. They they love uh Mikazuki in this way. So I think also to some degree there's like a coding of Orga's fears around Mika as also going into that. Um as we talked about with the like other conversation. Yeah. Uh where where Mika's like, you know, I need you to uh, I need you to snap out of this. No, that, that like extremely scary conversation. Or in that was the end of uh season one. I need you to um, tell me who to kill, what to destroy next. Yes. Yeah. Um. So some of that is being coded, and like Orga has those fears, but after. There is this sort of, this sort of breaking between the like two sides of Mika. Uh, and again, I'm like setting aside the, the qualms I have about how disability is being brought in here, but like yeah. talking about the actual, like the character stuff that's happening here, the, uh, the internal thing that's happening with Mikazuki that's being, uh, I think somewhat, uh, lazily or, or could be like drawn out more or emphasized more, at least in this episode. Again, maybe later episodes uh do this stuff more justice than i remember um cuz we're we're getting into territory where l- there's less and less stuff left that i remember <laughs> okay. um, but uh but also as i'm seeing stuff i'm remembering more stuff like i basically forgot about a lot of stuff with uh certain characters that now that i've seen i'm like oh yeah i remember how this ends mm-hmm. um but anyway uh in that split Atra and Gudelia they have the dream of the farm and are now even more afraid of like, you know, it feels like that dream is like almost lost. And now what do we have left? Like we, uh, we just want like the person to return to us. And Atra is like, uh, I need like, I need some sort of continuation of, even if it's just the line of, like, Mikazuki's blood in the form of, like, uh, lineage. I need, like, something from, from Mikazuki to hold on to beyond this. Because I think that this ask of, like, Kudele, I need you to have a baby uh, with Mikazuki, is this, like, last-ditch ep- effort to save anything. Yeah, um, the
2: desperation.
1: Yeah. Uh, whereas Orga has that little bit of struggle of, like, what's happening. But the, the end result is... Orga is actually getting what he wants from Mikazuki, which is the the person who will fight for him, um, and also who will push him to, you know, keep going to these heights. uh that like there, the the relationship between Mikazuki with Kudeli and Atra, I think is significantly like healthier for Mikazuki as a person. Um We saw in some of the previous episodes how like, one Kudeli and Atra and we continue to get these through th- these episodes support each other but we also saw moments where they were able to support uh Mikazuki but I feel like that's happened less as this has gone on um as he seems to become more and more distant from them throughout yeah. these episodes um and at he he is but uh, in that, he is, like, moving more towards Orga, which is, I think, being figured as, like, a more toxic thing. That that relationship has this, like, toxic element that got drawn out in that, that uh, you know, I need you to tell me who to kill. Yeah. Um,
2: so. the, the, yeah, absolutely. Um, this scene is so much the, like, counterpart or the, the extension and then, like, the... Uh, like inversion of the prior scene where well well first let me say like and i want to call this out because i don't know if i yeah uh, if we said this earlier but like when mika is like oh this makes things simpler um, because now i can't live without fighting like this is Mika's like own interpretation of his like yeah. situation in this moment. Um, and this is him like reacting to like being disabled and then all these other things that are happening. Um, yeah. I think that it's important to like recognize that, um, like Mika in the same way that like Kudelia is having these like internal struggles. Um, Mika is also having these like internal struggles. um, in a way that with his character in particular, it, it, it's hard to, um, to see always because he's so resolute, like, yeah, so much of his character is, is like him being like so resolute and determined,
1: um, and also like stoic and stoic, just the way that he interacts with people. Exactly. Um, he, d- he does not show emotions readily, um, you know, even in, like, moments of tenderness where he's, like, with kudalia and Atra, he's still kind of uh, fairly... Like, there's the part where they're, like, trying to comfort him, and he's just like, what's going on? <laughs> yeah. Uh, the part yeah. where they're, like, petting him at the end of, like, season one or whatever.
2: <laughs> yeah. Um, um, and he's, like, holding them, but um, what he's, like, expressing verbally and, like, affectively is, like... Minimal. Very you know? subdued. Yeah. Or subdued. Um and so I think it's easy to like react to Mika in a way of like you know, whatever he says, it's like it authoritative. Like, oh yeah, no, that's just like Mika is being like right um about about the situation and like what's necessary. Um, but I think behind that uh and this is an instance where, you know, I, f- I feel like the, the show's character work is, is deep because um, it invites you to look through this very, like, opaque uh, surface and be, like, Mika is also, like, desperate and struggling um, with, like, not only, you know, what's happened to his body and, like, the trauma of all of the shit that he's gone through, um, and then just, like, his whole life writ large um, the whole arc of his life and, and how much of that has been, uh, a struggle with, um, you know, fighting for his life and, and violence. Um, so like the weight of all of that is, is so forming his worldview and his like, uh, his view of like what's possible and his identity. Um, and so in this moment where he's like, oh, um, uh, you know, I I like can't exist anymore. I can't work on the farm anymore. Like, um, this, these events and like the the consequences of these events, um, have just like pushed him into this thinking that, um, he's like giving up on this, uh, dream that it's not viable for him anymore, and that his only like yeah. meaning and utility is, uh, being one with Barbados and like the violence it represents and so on and so forth. Um, but again, that's just like his interpretation of the situation. Um, and I think like what's happening in this dialogue, um, whereas the previous dialogue was like Orga reconsidering, um, like struggling with his, um, like his relationship to violence, um, and then the meaning of that violence in his life and like the possibilities, uh, of life, you know, outside of that. Uh, and then Mika being like, no, 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 I need this particular version of you. Um, and so I'm going to like push you towards that. Um, I want this conversation to end with like the status quo of like, you're still this version of you. Um, that that I need uh that's defined by this violence this kind of happens here like on the flip side where orga is like he's struggling with uh this idea of losing mikazuki um but when mika is like no I'm fully committed to this violence exactly as you said like I think that's what um Like Orga can readily accept that because I think that's like what he needs. Um, Yeah. So this is like Mika being what Orga needs now. Um, And him like acquiescing to it. Uh, Instead of challenging like no Mika, like, you know, you don't have to do this. Um, Like you can still live, (laughs) you can still do the farm stuff. Like. You can still live, you know, without this violence. Um, Like, uh, instead, just like acquiescing and like letting Mika uh, believe this and affirm this and then like assuage his guilt um, and give him like uh, the affirmation to like keep moving forward and doing the thing that he like seems to want to do. um, Yeah.
1: Fundamentally. Um, Yeah. To to be. Uh, a little bit more generous after leveling a, a heavier critique on some of the disability stuff. Um, and some of this is just coming through us talking. Um, <clears throat> I think there is a little bit of what's happening here where, uh, you know, this is a world where, like, Yuki Nojo is able to get cybernetic legs. Um some of what might be happening is that Mikazuki one is just not even thinking about that. And, Mm -hmm. uh, two is happy to have the excuse, um, to say, all I am now is the pilot of, of Barbados. Um, that like I was having this like internal struggle. Um, and in a way where like, you know, uh, we saw early on, Mikazuki being like, I want to be able to help work on the like suits more and doing the work, but I can only do the man- manual labor uh, labor side of it. Um, I can't do the like fine tuning and stuff, uh, because I I don't know how to read. Um, and then he learns how to read. Then he lo- loses the the use of one arm, and he's like, Well, I guess I can't work on fixing up the the mechs anymore. I I'm just going to farm and, uh, you know. Uh, pilot Barbados, but at that point, since he's able to read, you would assume he would be able to, if he really wanted to work on fixing up the mechs, he'd be able to do the same stuff that he's doing towards figuring out our art- agricultural, uh, you know, ideas for for Mars. Um, he'd be able to turn that towards oh well, let me do the fine tuning side of the me- the mech stuff. Yeah. Um, but is kind of happy to to. Give that up, and when we whenever we see him in the the you know hangars outside of being inside uh Barbados, he's like sleeping on the ground and stuff like you hush thinks of him as the useless one at first um and so here there's also the certain amount of like, oh, yeah, maybe I could be doing like the reading and planning and stuff for uh agricultural stuff, and you know there'd be people who'll be doing the the more manual labor around the farm but Um, it's easier to just have Hush carry me around than like, uh, you know, and, and to say like, well, just hook me up to Barbados because there I can use my limbs and stuff, even though that's also a, a thing that is going to be confining him in, in spaces where he's not moving around, uh, in the mech. Actually like
2: grappling with this dilemma that is like, that I'm faced with is like, I don't, something I don't want to do. It's like too difficult in a way
1: yeah and so the the easy thing is to just say well all i can be now is the pilot and why don't you just put me in the machine and because then i'll be able to use my my arms you know um and then i can just sit in barbados and like (laughs) do things with my hands
2: yeah and also like the idea of capability in that as well um and this i think is tying into like the um in the points raised earlier about like Mika's sadism or whatever. Um, but in Barbados, he is like the most powerful entity, potentially in this world. Um yeah. and like that extreme level of like power and capability. Um I'm also this is dawning on me as we're talking about it. Um, but we see this with Orga like desiring the power and the capability. Um, and that like it makes that makes you feel good, <laughs> right? Like Um, it's a good feeling to be you know to be strong and like capable and you know able to do all these things um especially when like their lives are so much about them like being uh oppressed and like spit on um and beaten down and so on and so forth um and uh so i think there's in addition to like the fact that um, this, like, dilemma that Mika's going through, there's so many layers of, like, pain involved in him, cho- like, having to, for instance, making the choice of, like, oh, no, you know what, I can still do the farm stuff. Like, I'm I'm still, like, a human being, um, and I'm, like, going to grapple with these, like, these feelings and this um, this pain um like he he's not only like dodging that by embracing this like fatalism um which we've seen the other uh uh members of Tekadon um having as well like um this fatalism as like a coping mechanism um to deal with the like the fighting um the sense of necessity that like propels them forward uh, through all of this, like trauma and stuff, um, so he's not only like embracing that, um, kind of like embracing that fatalism um, to dodge the uh, some of the like actual emotional um, stuff uh, that's going on, but it's also like him giving up Barbados and not being that anymore is him giving up that, like that power and that capability that he feels in the, in the Gundam. Um, Yeah. Which is like, uh, I think here we, we see his like desperation for it. Um, Like more and more as his body, like as as his body becomes like more uh, disabled. And then like, you know, I think in the way the show's framing it, like less capable Um, that the psychological dilemma of that, like the pain of that is that, you know, in the Gundam he's so extremely capable, and then out of it he's so like, you know, not. Uh um, yeah. So like that's another layer of um I think him like wanting to be back in it and wanting to identify with it. Um and continue like piloting it so like desperately.
1: Yeah. Um and also that like you know, there there are all these other, there are cybernetics and things that might in some way be a, a you know, could potentially, and again, there's probably some sort of nervous thing, uh, nervous system thing involved with uh, this these damages, just given what the uh, Leia Vignana system is. But, um you know, all of those things are like uh, more complex and probably <clears throat> to some extent limited solutions than, well, if I'm just in it, my my arms and... Legs and stuff work, um, you know, yeah. uh, like when you hook me up, I, all that stuff works. That's just simpler too. um, and so if I just become more and we, there's so much other stuff. Like I wanted to bring up a little bit about the, the fight, uh, and I don't know if this will transition to us to something else that you wanted to talk about. Uh, but we get that, that battle with, uh, hashmal with, um, you know, Mikazuki just, one demonstrating the incredible power to like single-handedly take down this thing that can uh you know destroy it's like a
2: doomsday weapon.
1: Yeah, this doomsday weapon that can destroy untold human life uh and is, is able to, while everybody else is just in shock, take it down. Um and you know, obviously taking damage, but like uh not without dealing it back harder. Um, and throughout that fight, there is a lot of stuff that's subtly happening. If you're, if you're watching the action, um, where very early in the fight, Barbados loses its right hand. Um, like the, the hand is just gone and it's just like the wrist and the arm. Um, and he's like punching the, the wrist into the body and stuff at point at points. Mm -hmm. Um, but you know, one of the, the notable things, of uh mikazuki the the loss of the right hand and it's just like barbados and mikazuki i think are becoming one to such an extent in the way that the show is also setting up with like what happened with with uh grace and grace Ein in this like very literalized way what's also happening like very symbolically uh seemingly um with like vidar um where there's a man who's outside, but also has taken the name of his mobile suit as his own. Uh and has like in that way also identified with the 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 mobile suit itself. Um mm. you know, I think a lot of this stuff is trying to engage with a thing that a lot of Gundam talks about, but uh this is making some of it explicit of like the Gundam is a human body. Um it is a it's human humanoid. body that is Yeah, it it is humanoid and it is a it is a it's not a human body in the way that it is an evangelion, but like uh it is the shape of a human. Uh it is an idealized form of of a human and an idealized form of a human that is good at war. Um
2: and it's piloted like by a a real human body inside this like idealized you know, this thing made in the image of a human body.
1: Yes. Um and here we get this like very clear uh identification that's happening between pilot and and you know mobile suit um and it's happening in some ways the most intensely with Mikazuki um where like I the pointing out the losing the right hand and then also throughout the op um there is a shot that has been repeating where we get like the hand the left hand of Barbados like reaching up towards the sun uh, I think it is oh it's Mika's um, hand
2: and then it like cut. It cuts to uh like the bar- Barbados's yeah. hand in the same position.
1: Yeah. And so uh it's there's specifically though a moment because I think it might be Mika's hand and then it cuts to Barbados's hand, and then you get like the the hand the Barbados hand with the armor. It then like is without the armor just yes. the frame and yes. then Mikazuki's hand again and then like doing the the clenching. Um and after the battle the Barbados has seemingly lost that left arm as well. And you get just a shot of it just like sticking up out of the earth in like basically the same pose as the OP. Um, where like, which I think is also interesting because a lot of what is like the most significant damage that Barbados takes up until that is stuff that is like mirroring Mikazuki's disability. And here it's the loss of the left hand, but Mikazuki still has the, the bracelet on. Um and still has that that hand, um. So there is still like a a certain part that is being held back, but it is like specifically just the hand with the bracelet. There's the no. threat, right? Yeah, like
2: it uh, uh, seems to be a very severe threat <laughs> uh, of um the you know this dismemberment of the Barbados' left arm. Um, yeah, and in, in a way that the show often like I think is. The way the show is constructed is it's often like threatening uh threatening things uh before yeah. they happen uh the foreshadowing <laughs> that's the right <laughs> term um you know it, this this is a threatening show though <laughs> yeah yeah i mean it, do, it does a lot of heavy foreshadowing but not just yeah. like oh it's foreshadowing for dramatic effect um it's it's foreshadowing to make uh to reveal like uh you know some of the significance of Uh, what's going on with the characters. Yeah. Um, Like
1: draw out a certain thematic uh, thing that's happening.
2: Right. Yeah. So I think that what you're identifying is um, tying into all the stuff with, with Mika.
1: Yeah. And the danger now of losing like Kudelia and Atra as well.
2: Yeah. That, that part of him that he's kept back. Yeah. Um. I really only have two things that I want to talk about remaining. Yeah. Um, I want to talk a little bit about Gellerhorn and then I want to talk about the mobile armor. Okay. Um, so one of the things that I noted uh, seems like a small detail, uh, but, but actually t- to me um, helped make sense of things. Um, we learn about the Order of the Seventh Stars. Uh, so we were talking about it earlier, but it's basically um, what we learned about specifically is that in the construction of the original Gallarhorn and like the seven stars, um, the order of the seven stars was based on like the he- who killed the mo- uh, the most mobile armors, and then like the amount of mobile armors you killed gave you greater standing uh, within the like hierarchy. Uh, so that's a kind of meritocracy, like a combat meritocracy, um, where it's like, you know, the most most kills you got, like, you get a better um, standing. Uh, but it's also peace-based. Um, and uh, I think we learn enough now. Uh, we've learned enough about Kellehorn, uh, to understand that at least, like, uh, the original version, um, the overriding concern seemed to be uh, – like restoring peace uh and and stopping like the threat of uh you know human extinction yeah um so we have this like combat meritocracy um but it's also for the purpose of like very much ideologically grounded as like uh for the purpose of peace uh thus revealing uh a very important contradiction at the core of Gellerhorn uh which values like the strongest fighters and strength, Mm -hmm. um, but also values order and peace, uh, which is a contradiction that we uh, see playing out um, with uh, in, in one instance, uh, Rustle and Megillus um, with Megillus, like very much adopting this uh, idea of um, meritocracy and, yeah. um, you're not really, yeah, he doesn't want to awaken the mobile armor, uh, but otherwise he's not really concerned with triggering like massive upheaval <laughs> and, uh, war, uh, in order to like restore this meritocratic, uh, vision. Um, you know, that's not like this rigid hierarchy. Um, and then we have, uh, you know, Rustle, uh, and the more like, uh, rank and file gather Yeah. Uh,
1: and like the Aryan road fleet as a, a institution, which <clears throat> currently we mostly just get as, um, Rustle, Julietta and Eoc. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Listed in an order of, uh, of rank within <laughs> Aryan road, uh, symbolically, if not literally. <laughs> yeah,
2: exactly. Um, So we have this, like, um, you know, um, the aspect of Galahorn that is obsessed with Order and Peace um, is also obsessed with, like, um, it's stagnant uh, because it wants fixity. Uh, And so when McGillis, like, is like, oh, it's, you know, it's rotten, it's stagnant. Um, This is like this decayed order. Um, I think that this is like the contradiction that has always existed at the core of Gallarhorn, um, that is now like again revealing itself uh to like tear Gallarhorn apart. Um The other thing, uh at a certain point I was watching episode 36 and I just started writing this note. Um relating to uh I think Jouot is is the main person who really um brought up this question of like modernity versus, um, you know, the medieval themes. Yeah. Uh, but it occurred to me, um, Gallarhorn rolled back modernity because the advancement of technology and warfare was going to destroy humankind, uh, is what we learn. Um, yeah. So like the mobile armor being this like peak of weaponry and technological advancement. Um, but finally reaching a point of, um, where like it was going to, to destroy, uh, humankind. Um, so Gellarhorn, like, you know, destroys the mobile armors, uh, buries them, suppresses the knowledge, um, and then like creates an order based on this, like, uh, this, uh, artificial, like version of the past. um, uh, that that then gets like structurally implemented uh and and maintained through like you know suppression um, uh, so they're creating this kind of like enforced stasis in time uh this this artifice by like literally burying the <laughs> uh modernity or the present or however you want to um, characterize this um, but uh the emergence of the mobile armor, like the excavation of it, Um, is this like critical uh, rediscovery of modernity. It's like the shock Um, almost in the way uh, um, we already did an episode on independent people. So I'm not worried about spoilers. Um, Yeah. But in that novel, you have this shock moment uh, where you're like, you think you're in a certain time. Um, There's this like, the first, you know, quarter third of the novel, uh, the world order is like from a certain era, you think. Uh, and then you like it's revealed uh shockingly that like, no no no, <laughs> this is like way further in the future than you than you think. Um, and there's this moment of like um there's this alienating effect for the viewer, um, where it like casts the whole Um, the whole world into like a different light, it creates this distance um, because you're like fully enmeshed in the world of like whatever you think it is, 1700 um, Iceland or like 1800 or something. Uh, And you're like, uh, again, like fully enmeshed in it. And then it's like, Oh no, it's like 1910. Uh, And it breaks the, the frame in this way.
1: Um, and in the city, people are talking about Marxism and communism. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And you're like, what the fuck is happening? Um,
2: but it breaks the frame in a way that, like, um, makes you reconsider uh, everything about, like, the original uh, order that every that all the main characters are existing in that you got presented first. Um, yeah. And so one of the things that's so great about these three episodes when they excavate the mobile armor, um, is like the mobile armor, uh, the excavation is literally like symbolic of excavating, um, like this past, which is also the future, uh, or like the real present, uh, because Gallarhorn is like, you know, suppressed it and created this artificial, uh, order. Um, and of course it's like this incredibly destructive, uh, moment as well uh because it's a complete like upheaval uh for for everything that Galahorn um like has implemented and achieved um so uh i love this moment yeah (laughs) this was really great
1: to to also like expand on this more because I, i think this is also interesting in that the way that most of the characters approach this like uh Upheaval, like this uh unearthing of modernity is uh for the most part aside from Mikazuki a a very medieval approach and solution which is the knight slays the dragon that like the mobile armor I think there's an intentionality in its design uh being dragon like yeah. and also speaking of it as like an angel as well having this like uh sort of religiosity towards it. Um, and eoch is the most comical. I am a knight who is going to go slay the dragon. Uh, I, I, you know, do I like throw my spear at it basically. And it bounces off. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. But like, you know, Julieta and McGillis and stuff rush to also be the knight that slays the dragon to, you know, win the order of the seven stars and all like that stuff. Like, the way that they are approaching it feels very medieval. The way that like... uh And inadequate. <clears throat> yeah. The way that like Seerther wins fame and fortune by going and slaying the dragon Favnir. Uh, and it, that it, that does not work in the face of it. The thing that works in the face of it is Mikazuki not going as a knight, but just being like, this is a street brawl between me and it. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to use um,
2: like this this also modern weapon to its full capability yes.
1: <laughs> uh that was
2: like designed to destroy this thing
1: yeah um and and not in any way that like conceives of it as uh you know the like glorious the, or whatever yeah of glorious and like the suit of armor and this the, the sh- uh, shield and this like Lance or the sword or whatever that the hero wears to protect themselves from the, you know, the dragon as they go to slay it. But like, no, I am literally going to like, uh, let this thing, let this like modern, uh, terrifying machine, like consume part of me in the process (laughs) in order to do it. Um, yeah.
2: Um, one of the other things that this brings up for me, um, that I also uh, I found really interesting is to so say what you will about Gallarhorn. and we've said a lot. Yeah. Um, but now like the revelation of the mobile armor giving us a better understanding of like what Gallarhorn was um, and thereby like by, by some extension still is, gives us a different understanding of Tekadon as well. Um and it goes back to like the um some of the stuff we talked about earlier, which is like how do you build like construct peace? Um because like just as um you know, just as, like, the re- repressive regime of Gjallarhorn has all these structures um that constitute it and reinforce it, an order of peace and, like, you know, equality or, like, justice also has, like, structures in place um to sustain it and to support it. Um, and learning that, like... Um, oh, yeah, Gallarhorn was, like, created and did all of this um, to, like, stop humanity from destroying itself uh, or to stop, like, humanity from going extinct Um, and, like, finally to, like, reject war um, and, like, establish peace. Uh, It casts, like, all the Gallarhorn regime in a slightly different light, um, especially as, like, we see Tekadon falling more and more into like just being embroiled with this like pure violence and struggle. Um, and specifically Orga being like, Okay, we need to keep fighting, like we have to keep fighting, um, to gain more power. Um, and so much of like what they're doing is just consumed with like fighting and fighting and fighting um in a way that like feels never-ending. Or like it has the danger of being never ending, and like all consuming, um, and I I don't think it's a coincidence that like along with this, um, Tekadon, like Tekadon's pursuit of power, as symbolized by them gaining the mine, <laughs> and trying to excavate the mine, like unleashes this, uh, like threat of like total destruction, um. That Galarhorn was like, you know, that this original Galarhorn was formed to to, to stop. Um, so in a way, like what Tekadon is doing is like undoing uh, some good stuff <laughs> uh, that like, or, you know, good. Again, we've we've talked about, we see what Galarhorn has become now um, and how like the order it enforced is like artificial or whatever. Um but Tekadon is like unleashing this violence um, to this like new, uh, you know, greater degree, um, and uh, and the, you know we see the um, the farm being destroyed, um, the farm being like the vi- this kind of vision, one of the only visions that we've gotten from the Tekadon side of like a utopian or like a revolutionary future of peace. Um, but then, you know, Hashmal, like that's the first thing that's destroyed, um, when they unleash this thing, um, inadvertently. Um, so it gives you a more, I, I think that like this turn of events, um, it turns the spotlight on Tekadon and invites a more like critical uh, viewpoint of, of where they are right now in this story. Um. And at the same time, like, it complicates Gjallarhorn and our understanding of them yeah. um, in a way that is, like, um, I, I think, productively advancing some of the um, the themes of, of the show.
1: Yeah. Um, <clears throat> one other thing I want to uh, call out a little bit with Mobile Armors. Um, so I think there's, like, a, a couple other... Mobile armors originate in like UC Gundam stuff. Um, mm. This is a distinction that uh, I don't feel like is quite as drawn out in the immediate, but that this show is definitely playing with. Which do you do you know what like the mobile armors are in Universal Century? Yeah, <clears throat> yeah. So like uh, you know, Elmeth, uh, Brabro. It's like a lot of the non-humanoid uh, Zeon generally. Stuff. Yeah,
2: but the, typically like they're piloted by people yeah and it's more just like a souped up Gundam yeah um, in, in um the, like oh the way that it's kind of like working in the world
1: yes uh the the one <coughs> I've forgotten the name of it in o8ms team uh like a lot of o8ms team is someone designing one of those mobile armors that uh you know is in the Gundam in the way that, uh, Migazuki is in the Gundam and can just easily destroy this thing, but it's not. <laughs> yeah. So it's like an extremely drawn out. People have to try and defeat this mobile armor. Um, you know, that's like a big thrust of Oita team. steam. Um, I know that there's a couple other shows that I, I think some of what's happening, like I, I, I haven't seen it, but I think, uh, double O, uh, just like Gundam double O. Um, I think that is the one that has like autonomous mobile armors that are, don't need pilots. Mm. Um, I know that this comes from something else, but I haven't seen it. So, um, but the one thing that I think is interesting here, uh, I, I recently, like literally last night when we're recording this, watched, uh, Gundam F91 when people listen to the post ED section, I talk a little bit about it there too. Um, I was watching it being like. I think that the, the people who made iron-blooded orphans like F91, <laughs> uh-huh. uh, there's just stuff in it that I feel like that they are like, uh, pulling from. And also this, like one of the big things is a thing that also happens in turn a Gundam. Um, and that I think Tomino is like really interested in exploring in turn a Gundam, which is like, even if you wipe the slight clean in terms of like the universe, by virtue of making like a Gundam show, meta textually, like what the Gundam is means something and what like a mobile armor is means something. Um, you know, the refleja at the end of like F 91 being this mobile armor and is the thing that the Gundam has to defeat. Um, and like the whole, if you buy a kit of the Gundam F 91 on the box, it says F 91 Gundam F 91 because technically the machine's name is just F 91. Uh, but somebody will inevitably recognize it in-universe as a Gundam, and it will be given that name. Yeah. Uh, this also happens to just spoil a small thing about Turn A. This also happens in Ternay. There's a thing that is not named the Gundam for a really long time in that show until someone comes along and goes, that looks like a Gundam, that's a Gundam, and that means something in that world. Um, this also happens, like, very early on yeah. in Iron-Blooded Orphans. Which we talked uh, about. Yeah. Um somebody eventually, you know, McGillis says, "Oh, that's a Gundam and that means these things." Yeah. Uh, and McGillis um, also machines says, "Machines of that
2: name have emerged throughout history." Yes. And it's <laughs> normally at a major turning point for for civilization.
1: Yeah. And McGillis <laughs> looks at the mobile armor and says, "Ah, mobile armors. I've seen I'm the only person in this show who's watched Mobile Suit Gundam. Maybe yeah. you've heard of it. Machines of that series. name
2: have emerged
1: throughout history." and been uh utterly destroyed by the gundam (laughs) yeah um yeah i just wanted to call attention to that that i think there's like an intentional and i think turn a is like a show that is far more about what does it mean that uh if you are making a gundam series like history will always repeat to some extent but i think ibo is engaging in in its own way by having like the calamity war and this like uh, repeated threat of apocalypse that's now happening. Um, all of that kind of stuff. I think it's also like in a meta textual way that I don't want to fully get into, but I want to call out yeah. there's a certain amount of the show looking at, uh, bringing in the mobile armor to say, like, there is a repeating of history that happens when you just tell a, a Gundam story. Um, that like Gundam as a franchise, even when you do, like parallel universe alternate timeline stuff is always going to in some way have to be about like history repeats itself because that's just what like the nature of a long-running franchise like this has to be yeah Um,
2: and we're definitely getting that here yeah (laughs) as well Um.
1: um so we i think we can talk about some of that stuff too as we like get into the end and we've already talked about like repeating history and stuff, but I just wanted to call out how like calling this a mobile armor is specifically even more explicitly invoking like Federation versus Zeon. Yeah. (laughs) Amaro goes out and shoots the mobile armor. Uh, Seabook goes out and shoots the mobile. armor. (laughs) Uh, um, I I do.
2: Yeah. The, the meta textual connections are, are very important. Um, I also think like, I was satisfied by the different way, like the differences in the way more mobile armors are presented here. Um, yeah, the differences such as as they are, um, where it's like particularly like the threat is like even greater. It's like particularly escalated because um, you know some of the earlier UC stuff. It's like the mobile armor is something that you're like awed by um, and seems really scary. But then, like, Amuro just fucking, like, goes out and just kills it.
1: Yeah. Um, <laughs> Again, the the joke I tell at the beginning of uh, Oethem's team, or somewhere in those episodes, is uh, this is a show about someone making a thing that would just, in, like, one episode get developed, sent out, and Amuro <laughs> would destroy it. Yeah, but Amuro's not here, so we have to have an entire 12-episode series about it. <laughs> yeah. We
2: we need the... Uh, exactly. The narrative yeah. about the guy who's trying to defeat Amuro. And it's just like, wait, who who the fuck is this kid? Um, But uh, the escalation of it, like, the reframing of mobile armors being, like, an actual, like, apocalyptic doomsday weapon um, is uh, what was definitely, like, intriguing. Um, And I think it gets to – there's also larger questions that are entailed with this around, like – um first of all uh like the mobile armor and then Gundams essentially being like weapons of mass destruction um to use a loaded term but um the the series is like uh intriguing in the way that it believes humanity can reject like weapons of mass destruction but also it doesn't believe that <laughs> Uh, yeah tying into some of the like cyclical history stuff um it's it's supposing like it's presenting a world where like humans do draw the line somewhere um yeah it, or attempt to and then like you know, but but then that like fails <laughs> at a certain point um so uh there's that um and then there's also like, The way that the mobile armor reflects on humans, um, it's never really said, notably, it's never really said, like, oh, this is why the mobile armor was created. It's just, like, oh, yeah, it killed a fourth of the population. Like, this is why Gundams were created, to stop it. Um, Yeah. But the rationale of, like, why it was created is never explained. Yeah. of Course, you can assume that it was like, well, there were wars and we just created the best weapon we could. Um, but the absence of the rationale isn't, is, uh, it seems meaningful. Um, because the mobile armors are so representative of just like human self destruction, um, or just like a, a drive towards destruction, um, in and of itself. Um, yeah. Because the mobile armor is just like this complete, the most perfected <laughs> uh system to like destroy humans uh you know, imaginable. Yeah. Um and it, although it was,
1: there there is also this tension of like the om- the mobile armors are the the, you know, most cataclysmic uh weapon, you know, the most dangerous weapon. Uh specifically for like all... killing
2: humans. Yes. Like in large volumes.
1: Yeah um but they were still also like destroyed by the the mobile suits and we kept those we just tried to create social mores around like the technology that would make the full utilization of them possible limiting them. um yeah yes but we still we still held on to that um and like it, that is still the the default uh like mode for a lot of war uh, in this world. Uh, I guess we see a lot of the mobile workers as well. Um, those okay. also seem to be pretty commonly used, but uh, you know, especially yeah. like in city limits, I guess. Um, um,
2: but yeah, there, so there's something about like, and then the the reference to the mobile armor is an angel. Um, yeah. You know, this is a projection um obviously um in in you know we can interpret this as like it's an angel uh it's merciful <laughs> um like this is the thing that we truly want um is just to like destroy ourselves um and this is like an angel because it's finally going to deliver uh on that desire like put us out of our misery yeah um and just like fulfill this like you know that this drive that humans have
1: yeah um, or is going to like deliver some sort of uh judgment that is greater than us that like uh we humans have overstepped some bound and need to be like destroyed punished yeah
2: yeah um or like you know this is our destiny right like the angel like we view this as an angel because you know um we have these religious feelings about like uh uh destiny and like the the destiny of humans is to like you know destroy ourselves um so when that finally we finally achieve that um you know we project this religious weight this apocalyptic weight onto it um yeah of like oh yeah you know this is it um that it, it carries this religious um significance um so uh, yeah, I there, there's more to be said um about the mobile armor. Uh, I think it's a great, um, one of my favorite things that that's happened in this show so far, uh, is the, um, the the twist, uh, with the mobile armor being brought in. Um, but uh, I think for now, um, I, I feel satisfied that we've um with the discussion
1: yeah um are are we are we finally done
2: yeah i think i'm good uh we've covered a lot of ground um and uh yeah you know we still have a couple more discussion episodes so yeah we'll have another couple cracks at it if there's anything we
1: missed this was a, a long episode, but I think these episodes deserved it. So, Absolutely. Um, <laughs> honestly, there's still more that we could talk about, but I think we've reached the point of uh, – we've talked about the important things. So. Yeah.
2: And again, there's uh, more – we'll have more discussion episodes. Yeah, All the stuff that we've missed, I'm sure, like is going to continue to be
1: – Yeah. Again, up. I'm very intentionally tabling stuff about Julietta because I'm just – There's more to come. Uh, There's more stuff we can talk about with McGillis that, uh, you know, that, that is coming down the line, things like that. So there's also a certain amount of me knowing, uh, we'll get to some of this stuff. (laughs) Good. (laughs) Um, So uh, next time we will be discussing episodes 39 through 44, uh, AKA episodes 14 through 19 of season two. Uh if you have emails for us, please send them to ghostarispod at gmail.com. Um Also you can support the network. So if you go do export odd.io, that will take you to the Patreon. Uh there's links to a bunch of the podcasts on there, so you can check out other podcasts on the network. Um you can also go and support us $1 gives you early access to a number of podcasts as well. as just like a feed where all of them show up. Um, so you don't have to like subscribe to a bunch of different podcast feeds. Um, and, uh, $5 you get bonus episodes of, um, a number of shows. Uh, so coffee and comic books like has at least one a month. Um, they do all sorts of comics. So that includes manga, but, uh, also like a lot of, um, you know, American, European, things like that. Um I, I'm sure they're like looking around for as much variety that they can find in that stuff. But I feel like people who like ghost divers, that would be like a big one I would recommend to them. Um if you like us for our personalities, uh go check out <laughs> Pondering Puton. Uh so you can go to export slash Puton to find the the you know, free public feed, but we do have early episodes um, on the Patreon for that. So you'll get episodes a week early. Uh, that's just us goofing around. We talk about Gundam on there sometimes. Yeah. Every yeah, now and then. Whatever whatever we feel like. <laughs> um, I also do Ornate Stairwells. Uh, it is a movie podcast. If you want to hear me talk more about Gundam F91, I have not recorded that episode yet. Uh, as the time of me... Recording this, but by the time you are hearing it, it is already out. So you can go check that out export odd.io slash ornate stairwells. Um, also periodically have talked a little bit about turn a on there. Um, there's also an episode where we watched Shars counterattack and talked about that. So uh, there's some there's some Gundam chat there as well, if you're specifically in it for the Gundam. Uh, speaking of Gundam chat, uh, I also do Around the Longfire with uh, M from Abnormal Mapping. If you go to abnormalmapping.com longfire, uh, it is a podcast about uh, Icelandic sagas. By the time that people hear this, uh, we are in the middle midst of Heimskringla which is the history of the Kings of Norway. Um, but you know, if you like the parts where I'm talking about, like Norse mythology, we haven't done too much of like myth. Um, uh, more of it has been in the realm of saga, which is a bit distinct. Um, but the, the very first thing we did was a legendary saga. So you do, do get Searthur slaying the dragon, uh, Favnir in there. Um, but uh, we also will talk about it for like half the episode, and then the second half of the episode, we kind of just bullshit and talk about stuff, which does mean a lot of Gundam because I've just been watching a lot of Gundam, um, and M does great Gundam project, so uh, yet another place that you can find Gundam talk. <laughs> um, plenty of like, that fully... on the network on between yeah. export audio and abnormal mapping. We got it covered. <laughs> yeah, I'm just fully in the Gundam minds right now. <laughs> um you know, excavating mobile frames and, mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> and mobile unleashing drivers. hell
2: on, on yeah the civilization <laughs> of Mars.
1: Um, anyway, uh, if you'd like to follow us, you can follow us at ghost divers pod on Twitter or just at ghost divers and CoHost. I've been very bad about using cohost lately, but I'm going to, I, I want to try and get back to like, at least checking it regularly, getting back on, uh, doing the Heathcliff cohost account, stuff like that. um, but you can also follow me at Fox Momnia on basically any social media platform. Um, I, I have an Annie list account. So if people want to go check that, I think my, my anime list account might also still exist, but I don't use it anymore. So if you want to like follow my watching habits for anime, Annie list is the one they go to. Uh, letterboxed, Twitter, um, co host basically everything. Fox Omnia. Where can people find you, Connor?
2: Uh, you all can find me at Revelé on Twitter and CoHost.
1: Um, you post all the time. I don't. I can't keep up with you. I try to
2: post at least
1: like four or five times a day.
2: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> sometimes um, I'm not great about it. I just do like one or two. But
1: yeah. Uh, sometimes you like really slip and you just do like 100.
2: Yeah, and sometimes I really yeah. slip and I just don't post for like five years.
1: Yeah. So
2: it's pretty, it's pretty interesting. Which slip,
1: which slip have you been in recently? Uh people can go check out your, <laughs> your Twitter account and find out. <laughs> um I, that's it. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Pretty pretty good episodes. Hopefully the next ones are,
1: are just as good. Um the show just like sucks from here on out. It just gets really bad. It's stupid. No. <laughs> great <laughs> i love that <laughs> um we still have not gotten to the thing that i knew about this show before basically anything else
2: so oh i forgot also, about the thing that you yeah. said i
1: was gonna recognize okay well no, maybe you're it'll not, be next not necessarily gonna know it's the thing that i knew but okay um but I, I
2: yeah now i'm aware of the thing again so so i'll be on the lookout for a thing
1: i think like just today it was uh joe messaged me being like oh was it the stuff about like uh mick gillis um that we've like already gotten a little bit of mm-hmm. it'll, it'll develop more but like and i was like no that was not it uh it was it was another thing and joe's like oh i didn't even think it would be that so I'll be, um i'll be looking out for it yeah we'll, we'll see if you're able to predict it when we get to it um anyway that's it bye Bye. See you next time.
4: Nishiki no mi hata o kakage yo Boku Yami wa bonkro Yami wo shireba koso hikari wa shire aru donkro sempuso
1: at the top no recording
2: it's been a while since we did that one
1: um also do we want to do the the content warnings at the top or at the end of this recording
2: let's do it at the end because it will have like okay. r- discussed it all
1: yeah uh, uh 30... we, we do have the first like uh real this could be a, a triggering like uh pedophile thing yeah, <laughs> these episodes so
2: yeah um fi- i don't know yeah 56 fuck it just going long just seemed like an auspicious time all right i heard that like Clap done.
1: simultaneously online Yeah, but remember, I, I think that there's something with, like, the, the lag and then also the lag on your headphones or something. Just let me have this. Yeah. Let me if it felt good to you, then it's probably good. That still what feels I feel. good,
2: even though you've tried to yeah. pull the rug out from under me.
1: Yeah. Um. Well, let's see. Um... Uh, before we get in do do we wanna have a, a little bit longer of a, a you know, post E D section or do we want to try and get into it soon?
2: <laughs> we can do we can do a a post E D section.
1: Okay. Um I mean in terms of I'm gonna do like a quick drink check. So I have water mm-hmm. in um not the brat one. Um <laughs> that one I, I washed and I'm just like letting it dry. Um, but I have my other one that's like same company. Um but it has like a uh, I forget what they call it. Um, it's kind of like a confetti look, though. Uh, and because of that, you can't get the engraving, so it doesn't say brat. But this is the one that has the the new top. I think I talked about where uh, there's that pop. I think I did this last time. Um, okay,
2: I don't remember. Yeah. <laughs> but you probably did do it last time.
1: Um, so I've got that in here the thermos, and then I've also got just uh unflavored liquid death. Um, and then, uh, yesterday, um, while we were doing the, the movie for, uh, ornate stairwells. So we watched a man with a movie camera and it was very short. So then we also watched Gundam F91. Um, but, uh, Emily went to target to get like milk and stuff and then got me Fox treats. Uh, so I have some Mike and Ikes and I just have them in here. Um, as well as there's like this, um, I don't actually know what you call this. It's like a, a Japanese, it's not mochi. It's like a, a more bready thing, but it's kind of like mochi in like shape and filling. I forget what this is called, but I've got one of those too. In case I get like peckish during a, a bathroom break or something. So, okay. Um, yeah, not a lot going on in terms of so it's like a, beverages. It's,
2: it's essentially like a, it's dough. Oh. It's like a
1: bready pastry
2: that has filling in it. Yeah. Okay. Is yeah. it like red bean filling?
1: Um, so this is Emily's uh, like basically her, her favorite flavor in the entire world is um, like the preserved sakura, um, mm-hmm. you know, like the, the sakura petals that have been like preserved in salt. Mm-hmm. And then you kind of like um, while preparing stuff, you like usually get a fair amount of the salt off before you you put it in. Um, and so I think it's that with white beans. I think it's mixed up with the white beans. Um, but, uh, yeah, let me, let me look. That sounds good. Like, I feel like there's some, I'm trying to remember the name of this thing. Um, I'll figure it out while you do the drink check, but.
0: Okay.
2: Yeah. My drink checks continue to be pretty boring. Um, it's the same as it was last, like literally exact same. Um oh wait, no, it's not the exact same. Because last time I had the um like amber glass cup with the diamond oh, pattern. Yeah. And this is the um uh, transparent lime green plastic cup with uh the dotted like bubble slash dot pattern. So I've got water in that. Yeah. And then I have the uh the mug uh The, you know, the creation mug. Yeah. With all the talk about angels in this episode, I thought, um, what better to, to drink out of while podcasting about it than my, um, you know, than my religiously affiliated mug. So, but, uh, I'm, I'm drinking oolong tea again, uh, tonight, which I think is what I was drinking last time. But, uh out of shame for my like my drink check slump I might actually go for the the soda um that I mentioned last time still got a couple in the fridge so I might break that out at like the halfway point just for for a little extra um, you know pizzazz
1: yeah. Um, by the way the thing is called a manju i remember now
2: manju okay
1: yeah hmm. so the the like base ones uh like the the basic ones uh are like flour uh rice powder uh kudzu um buckwheat and then uh, the red bean paste filling. But mm-hmm. yeah, I think this is a white bean paste one. Um, and sometimes they're like darker. This is not quite as dark of a dough. So I don't know exactly, you know, there might be slightly different um, things going on in here, but um, they look good. Yeah, they are kind of the, the like, the, I feel like they like occupy a similar, um, space in my head is like mochi, but it's like the flour mochi rather than the rice mochi, mm-hmm. you know,
2: she um, got these from target.
1: No. So these ones she orders, uh, cause she gets all excited about, um, gotcha. so they're from a, a company that does like Japanese sta- snacks to the U S so.
2: Okay. It got it. them Nice.
1: Um, we've already eaten through the uh, strawberry mochi and the the sakura mochi. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, mochi um, goes but, very
2: fast in our house too.
1: Yeah, um, Sarah loves my, mochi. My little kid fucking loves mochi. So.
2: <laughs> it it does um, seem like a a great kid food. Yeah, there's a um, there's frozen mochi that we can get at the. We you all have um like June back market and stuff, Mitsuwa. Um but we've got a huge yeah. grocery store international grocery store here that has a lot of Japanese stuff and so you can get like all kinds of frozen mochi. Um that's that's pretty good. So we we go there like once a month and just get some mochi. Uh and then it's gone in like, you know, two days
1: yeah um i feel like we're still getting a little bit of breaking up but we'll we'll... how are you feeling
2: i'm feeling good and i mean my bars have been green the whole time not to imply anything because
1: no i think it is on my end uh i did reboot everything so um i mean i could try again but i don't know how much it will help um i think it just is that we're recording uh a week on an off, off week yeah
2: yeah your router's like uh mm, that's not part of the agreement
1: <laughs> you do this every other week
2: yeah this is not I, I was supposed to have a night off um let
1: me let me uh i'll just check out What's going on? Anyway, um, but yeah, I, as I mentioned, um, this is maybe something we could talk in more detail on Putan, or we can talk about it a little bit right here. But I watched, uh, Gundam F91, uh, last mm-hmm. night. Um, and I, I, I think I, I might be misspeaking, but my general just impression, uh, Autumn has not said this directly, but just my impression from knowing them is that Gundam f91 is their favorite Gundam thing really um and again, I could be wrong maybe it's just that like they like it a lot more than other people. I enjoyed it a fair amount um some of that was like watching with somebody who's very excited about it also that's like infectious um also Seabooks mom eating shit on that scooter is like the funniest thing that Tomino has ever done. <laughs>
2: See, I really, I've like lost a lot of my memory of Gundam F ninety one. I remember watching it and being it's like, so yeah. like, like
1: uh, rapid that was
2: solid." Fire. It is, yeah. yeah. It's like a whole. It's like trying to reset the mytholo- like the mythology and the cast of characters, yeah. In like all, one movie, and it's it's wild that it kind of, I think it more or less like just passes the bar of doing that which is nuts, considering like how big of a task that is.
1: Yeah. On the, the GGP episode um, about it, they talk a lot about how um, there's this like weird tension with it where it's supposed to be like 30 years after double Zeta or whatever. Um, And it, it parts of it feel like it would make more sense if it was like a hundred years or 300 years, you know? Um, yeah. there's just like elements of it where it feels like you need like even more distance. Um, but yeah, it's funny. I was listening to that. I had the thought watching it because I have come off of watching Turn A Gundam being like, oh, this is the first like Tomino Gundam thing where I'm watching through like in the, the timeline, you know, the chronology of him doing this stuff. Um, this is the first one that I've seen where. I can see how turn a happens. Like there are some of the ideas in turn a that I really enjoy are like starting to get developed here. Even if they're not like fully in place, you know, mm. um, like turn a provides so much more of like an actual wiping the this, this slate clean to then do this Gundam thing. Um, but then, uh, and there's also just like, like things like, um, there's so much of of F ninety one where you see like the the bullet shell casing hit somebody and and like kill the mother right uh and then like they they rescue the baby uh, happens at the beginning or just like lots of like uh images of how the warfare is like actually just affecting people living in the colonies um yeah spoiler whereas, later, like, that
2: happens and that exact thing happens in the first few episodes of victory as well.
1: Yeah. Um and I knew Victory I think would would also be going towards this. But like a lot of the yeah. stuff before it's so focused on like the pilots, like on the soldiers and all of that stuff that you don't see quite as much of like what's the actual like civilian. Like there's moments in Double Zeta that flirt with this, um but aren't committing in the same way. Um and I feel like a lot of that stuff I see then more like getting developed in things like turn nine and I'm sure Victory will also touch on this stuff too. Um but so yeah, I also kind of enjoyed it like knowing that some of the stuff that I enjoy about it is just going to be better in turn A. <laughs> like, yeah. you know. It's not enough um, space
2: for like what is being attempted. That's my distinct yeah.
1: memory of it. Yeah. Uh and then he uh, just and I mean, turns it was, around. It was and... supposed to be a show. Um
2: Oh, I didn't know that background.
1: Yeah. And so that's, it also ends because, uh, I think it was supposed to be a show and then it was supposed to be like three movies. Once, it, once he like wasn't able to do the show, it was going to be three movies. And so that's why it ends with like, this is just the beginning or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I'm I'm assuming it just didn't do very well. And that's kind of, uh, one, why like, there are more of those made. Although the story kind of like, although in a different way, I under, as I understand it gets continued in a manga that he helped write called crossbone Gundam. That I'm probably going to read it at some point um, in the nearest, nearest future. Um, I know that he wrote that stuff after victory Gundam. So I think I'm going to try and get through victory first and then read it. But yeah, um,
2: victory is very much like the F91 is like an attempt to reset. And then victory is like, okay, yeah, we're actually resetting now. Yeah, um, and it does do. I still haven't finished it, so I think I'm going to not talk about it until I'm done with it. Um, yeah, I'm going to hold myself to that.
1: Um, we'll see. I I was figuring stuff out, uh, just because. So while watching F ninety one, uh, like before we actually watched it, since I was waiting to watch it with Autumn, I started watching Stardust Memory. Um I right now only have four episodes left of Stardust Memory.
3: <laughs>
1: mm. So um yeah, with that I think um like probably maybe like it, it probably won't be when we record Puton, but like Wednesday. <laughs> I'm probably gonna start watching Victory Gundam at this rate. Um That's good. Like that Wednesday, might be the boost yeah, Wednesday that I or need Thursday
2: to like charge through it.
1: Yeah. Um, and then I, I like plotted it out just being like, here are the, t- the the days where I have to watch See Destiny or I have to watch Iron-Blooded Orphans for like, you know, quote unquote, podcast homework. Um, and then here are like, because I usually just watch two episodes of anime on my lunch breaks when I'm at work. Um, doing that, it's like, uh, I, I'm currently basically on track. This can obviously get messed up if... Uh, for some reason I can't watch anime like that lunch break because whatever reason, you know, my, my kid's sick and, and home from daycare or whatever. But like, uh, if I'm able to hit those, uh, I will probably be done with victory Gundam like the end of May. <laughs>
2: okay. So. Yeah. Yeah. So I got to finish. I'm close. Yeah. I'm in like the, the late thirties 30s, episode, 30 something. And it's like 50 something episodes, I think. Yeah. Um, I think I'm just kind of like I haven't been watching a lot of anime, period. Um, I think I've just moved temporarily out of it, the anime watching phase. Uh, and so I'm just like that in combination with my prior comments. on like, I figured out why it's taking me so long to get through victory. Um, yeah. I'm just kind of like organically tired of. Gundam stuff a little bit yeah uh, which is not affecting the IBO thankfully because um, IBO is like different enough um but yeah I was like getting tired of Gundam stuff and then it was like all right now we're doing IBO and Ghost Divers and so I'm just like doing so much Gundam shit and thinking about Gundam and then I'm like ah you know when I'm not watching IBO, whenever I sit down and I'm like, I have some time to do to do some leisure activity. It's just not victory. <laughs> it doesn't jump to yeah. like the top of my uh, top of my mind. But uh, I think I just need to like go through it because whenever I actually start watching the episodes again, I'm like, yep, yep, this this is still good. Like enjoying it. Uh, but I'm just not organically like feeling drawn to it uh yeah so i need to just commit and just go through um actually sarah's out of town this whole week so i might just like uh earmark a bunch of my free free time this week to just watch anime get through victory and then try and get yeah. into uh g gundam
1: yeah i've been going a bit slow through g gundam um as like one is that uh i just have it on usually like in the background when i'm having like a little bit more of a, a mindless task at work or something um which i like churn through some stuff that way but like i don't know she kind of just hasn't been like maintaining that uh desire to keep watching more in yeah. the same way um it's That's like i i have fun watching it but it's kind of uh like it's it's mostly just like a a shonen battle anime uh that but that has like Gundam instead of them punch you know they're punching in Gundams instead of like each other yeah you know another way um and when it's that it's like there's just so much other anime that does this and i think does it better um it doesn't have like a a mecha most of the time you know but yeah. like beyond that uh for like the actual what are, what am I getting out of this beyond just like the robot is cool. Um, I'm just like, not, I'm not being sustained in that same way. Uh, but it's also in a way that where it's like not actively unpleasant watching it either. Um, as it opposed to like seed, but <laughs> I think my
2: so. part of my problem is that the Gundam stuff, I care so much about it. Yeah. Uh, because I've just been, like, I, I know the satisfaction of actually, like, paying attention to um, at least, like, the UC Gundam stuff. Uh, So whenever I am, like, going to watch something, I'm just, like, I have to be really engaged with this. Like, that's what I do to myself. I'm, like, I have to really be, like, completely engaged watching this. Um, yeah. And I can't allow myself to, like watch it in any other way so that's the other thing is there's just like a um i wouldn't call it fatigue but it's like taxing because i'm just like so invested um and i'm mentally like i'm watching victory Gundam and i'm just like oh yeah like you know i'm processing all of this like information uh of how like oh yeah told me another, like this is what's going on with these like various themes that are uh, you know, at play, yada yada yada, um. And I wish I was able to like kind of just like half watch or just sit back and like watch it on just like the pure viewership like level instead of trying to analyze it like in the moment. Um, I'm hoping that I'll be able to do that with G Gundam. I'll just like start the show and just be like, fuck it. I'm not thinking about this. I'm just going to watch it um, for like entertainment. Yeah. And just if whatever thoughts I have, I have, but I'm not going to try to like, you know, interpret this <laughs> uh, at all. <laughs> I'm just yeah. going to watch it. So we'll see what what happens with that. But okay, I'm 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 promising. I'm I'm gonna do it. Actually, I'm going for it. I'm gonna promise to you by Friday. So today is <laughs> this isn't an April Fool's joke either, by the way. Yeah. Um, by April eighth, no, April seventh, which is next Friday, I will have finished Victory Gundam. I'm saying All this right. on the record. It's done. 4-7-2023. I will have finished it and I'll be on my way to uh, a a speedy uh, continuation of my Gundam watch there.
1: Yeah. Um, yeah, I'll we'll have G Gundam, Gundam Wing. Uh, so G Gundam I'm partially through. Gundam Wing I watched back in the day, um, but will, I, I want to rewatch at some point. Uh, Gundam X, um... And then you've already seen No MS Team. I don't know if you're gonna rewatch that. No, probably um, <laughs> not for <yeah>. a while. <laughs> the thing is, too, by us talking about it on the podcast, I I feel like in the way that that like series of has like, uh, I, I've just forgotten about what happens in it multiple times. Um, I feel like it, doing it on the podcast, like. Uh, at least solidified certain things about it in my head a little bit more. Yeah. Um also have Even as there's like, still moments where I'm like, how was it that long? was it twelve episodes?
2: Also the <laughs> other problem with OETH MS team is that IVO is like okay, let's do OETH MS team plus like a lot of other stuff. And like yeah. way better. Yeah. <laughs> 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 so. So now that you have, like, watched IBO, it's just like, yeah, going back to OAuth MS Team would just suck.
1: Yeah. So you have to skip that. Yeah. Uh, And then it'll be Turn A Gundam. And and when you get there, we're going to do it on the podcast, right? Are we? It's still the plan. I think that the plan is when you get to Turn A Gundam, we're going to do it on the podcast, and it'll be your first time through if you're okay with this if you're not we can we can cancel this plan but no i i, mean, I'm, I like i'm fine with it i that. like want to be there i don't know how much new i can say at least about it uh that like wasn't said on ggp or wasn't said when i lightly ar- argued with M about some like final stuff uh-huh. on an episode of around the long fire um i still just like want to be there through your journey through Turn A Gundam. So that's that's the main reason why I want to do it on the podcast when you get there.
2: Okay. We we can do that. Yeah. Um I, I have no objections at this time. Um Okay. And I mean With you, that- you've
1: got you've got a number of series to get through before you get there, so I do. Um
2: yeah we'll we'll uh we'll have it done at least psychopaths and Nana at that point probably. Yeah. For sure. Okay, with that, do you want to get into the the actual
1: IBO stuff? Um, sure. I just checked uh, on my router. Uh, The QoS is not enabled.
2: It yeah, it probably shouldn't be because QoS, like, yeah, it would probably make your your uh, experience with it worse yeah also um, the netgear like well qualifying the statement um i'm i don't have any true like knowledge of networking hardware or like networking principles um i just like dabble in it but um from what i've seen the netgear like firmware uh is is really bad, and yeah. so the like using the Netgear's like built-in QoS, it's probably not going to do a good job.
1: Yeah.
2: Um. But yeah, so I I wouldn't recommend turning it on. Yeah, I do it with um. I have like a third-party firmware on my. I, I also have a Netgear router, but I have like a different firmware that I installed on it. And um, I do, like, a kind of QoS, but it's basically for, like, I set up a different network for our Roomba to, like, isolate it from the main network. Yeah. Um, and then I, like, relegate that to, like, the shittiest tier <laughs> of, the Qo- of like, the QoS so it doesn't – um or, like, the traffic priority – So it doesn't interfere with anything else that we actually care about.
1: Yeah. Um, Anyway,
2: random tangent.
1: Yeah. Should we get into it?
2: Yeah, let's do
1: it. Okay. Let's take a bathroom break real quick, though. Okay, sounds good. Yeah. All right, I am back. I am back. Okay, <clears throat> I just got back as well. Um, yeah, the, the this stuff with McGillis is the stuff where, like, I've seen some will be like the the show, like, uh, because of the line about like a world where we won't be judged for our love, um, is like supporting this sort of behavior like you know pedophilia or whatever and i don't think that's what's happening i would disagree here. with that um uh, but it's also like there are just people who i know wouldn't be able to watch the show because uh still just seeing that would be like that scene would be too upsetting or would like need to just skip the episode or something so that's understandable um but i i yeah. think
2: it's a real uh it's a real reach to be like the yeah. show just agrees with big that's all that's happening. Yeah. <laughs> I don't I, um, I don't know if I I don't think I agree with that I position.
1: Yeah. Um
2: like this show is all just about be... how McGillis is right about everything and is yeah. like morally correct in his actions.
1: Yeah. And I I like don't want to be too sneering to people who like have a uh like very visceral reaction to this and then like come to a, a opinion out of that but there is also a certain amount of like i think if you watch this show closely it <laughs> yeah. uh you know it's not like oh mcgillis is just like one of the good guys now and that's why Tekadon's no <laughs> that's not anything that we've been talking about so i don't yeah. think close reads point to uh mcgillis is just part of the crew now
2: <laughs> yeah you're right i i think it's yeah
1: it, yeah i i
2: don't think it's right to just like mock Out of sensitivity for, like, that may be behind it. Uh, I don't think it's right to just, like, completely mock that position. Um, But I still don't – like, that's not – that position is not fair to the show. Um, Mm. Because it's really doing a a lot more. It's, like, evident from everything else the show is giving you that there's a lot more going on.
1: Um, But also, I don't know if if you had – the first time that I watched this show – I was like, "Ooh, that was a gut punch." Like <laughs> um I was not expecting to to have a scene like that around all of this. Um yeah, I mean when he
2: I was I was uncomfortable at the when the scene started. Yeah. And then when he moved her to his lap, I was like Yeah, that Yeah, it 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 was a gut yeah. punch. That's a good way of putting it. Yeah. yeah. Like I I was I was pretty shocked um when that happened. Yeah. Uh but I think that we've I think we discussed it uh yeah sufficiently.
1: Um and I wanted to make sure that we we didn't just try to glide over it, but uh I'm also like, we're done with it. That's like the hardest thing about this show to talk about. So <laughs> that yeah. scene. So I mean I um, think we're
2: uh I think we've said that if someone else had a like really wanted to expound on that that's fine but yeah i i think we've said enough uh on it until there's until more events happen which i'm sure they will
1: yeah and you know if there are people who are just like uh this is too like uh painful or a thorny of a thing to try to engage with um i can i can respect that there are people who like feel that way about media but um, likewise yeah but also like my favorite anime is Utena a show that tries to deal with this stuff uh as well in in different ways but you know yeah um
2: I me mean, i'm not going to um i'm not going to dictate to people that oh, you have to watch this like blah yeah. blah um but also if a if a show is trying to like i, I think it's worth uh I think this stuff is worth like engaging with and talking about in media, and so um, I won't begrudge a show for like presenting something, and in order to like engage with with it in a way. Um, yeah, I won't begrudge it in and of itself. Now, I mean, how it's handled, that's up for that's up for grabs. Um, but I'm never going to say oh, a show should never present like x y or z
1: um ever you know yeah um maybe draw the line at like uh actually recording someone dying and then putting it <laughs> But you know, yeah, beyond like broad ethics of just recording, like doing things to human beings and recording it. Yeah, I'm well. Yeah, my comments were yes. assuming that like <laughs> everything <laughs> yes. is fictional. Uh, I, I just wanted, to, I just wanted to note that bit. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah.
2: Um, um, no, 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 don't like go out not, and not kill somebody. You, not for Not that I it. think
1: that you are doing that, but just for like a, a presumed audience. There are obviously still ethical limits in the like broad scheme of things. But. For sure. Yeah. Uh, but I think media should be able to engage with difficult things. So Yeah, or else, um, like, what's
2: the point of all of this?
1: Yeah. Um, so, yeah, should we do episodes 36 through 38? Let's do it. Synopses and stuff. All right. You start this one off. Uh, we should do content warnings if you're still recording. Yeah, I'm good. Okay. Um. So content warnings for this i I would say like in general there there's not too much that's new uh so if you've like made it so far, um really again, the big thing is uh there's some more around like the grooming stuff um that you know could be difficult uh and um you know again. If you, like, struggle with the stuff before, it's fine to, like, tap out and not. I'm going to save that the episode again, because I think we did that to people who wanted to skip it. Um, do you remember which one it is? I think it's... Uh, let me double check. Is it 44 or 42? I'm trying to remember. Uh, it's 44. Okay, yeah, 44. Um, and in this case, because I think before it was, like, the very end of the episode, and this one it's a little bit more in uh the middle um but i, I want to like find the specific uh i might put in like the the uh, episode description if people go look there i'll do like rough timestamps for the episode and people want to try and skip that scene um but also the sort of the thing to uh look for is um there'll be a scene with like uh, a conversation with Rustle um, and uh, the revealed masked man and Eok, um, where they're going to sort of expand on uh, their vision and specifically uh, in contrast to like McGillis's interpretations. So um, that'll be where it is, but I'll put the timestamps in so people can, you know, if they're watching the episode, they can try and skip that. Um the cat trying to break in. I don't know if there's anything else in particular. I mean, um there is still like a lot of death. I think that probably gets turned up more here. Um, but there's yeah,
2: yeah more stuff around um like
1: cybernetics,
2: um and you know, body modifications and attitudes towards mm-hmm. that.
1: Yeah. Um I think even
2: more extreme like um, escalations of that.
1: Yeah. Um, and I guess also like some general stuff around um, a little bit of sexuality, but I would say more like uh, gender and gender roles and uh, like um, reproduction as a theme, like, uh, you know, biological reproduction. Yeah. um but I think that's it yeah. yeah yeah um all right I'm gonna hit stop okay